Ah, and we're live. I was a few, I have this, since I do the show every morning, like I know where I'm supposed to be every minute from 6 a.m. to the second the show starts, right? Because I've done it so many times. 6.02, turn on the coffee maker. 6.31, drying my left armpit. 6.32, drying. And today I was like, oh, this looks this looks off. I look like I'm off by a minute or two. It's like 10 o'clock here. I've been <laughs> pumping already. Yeah. What time do you get up? Uh, it kind of depends what I do the day before, but today I woke up around five. Woo. Woo. Coffee. I had cold coffee sitting next to my uh, bed stand today. Just from the night before. From the night before. Dude, that's hardcore. I, I, pre- I, I appreciate that. I respect that. Straight to the gym. Dry cleaners. Bunch of phone calls. A little bit of barbershop meeting okay uh, what do you get dry cleaned and what were you doing at the barbershop these are two stories that i, I question so i i have some uh i'm wild with my clothes man so i had grease on one uh-huh. of my dress shirts uh-huh I'm like man i hope this comes out uh, and why do you have dress shirts who do you see with dress shirts like meeting with people from the state like being like like politicians and politicians high level funders okay uh, you know, I got to play the part. So I got lucky like a year ago, Lululemon, the local Lululemon, which I, I get made fun of sometimes for this, but they asked me to be an ambassador. So they gave I love me, it. they gave me a bunch of dress clothes. Uh huh. So I got all these expensive dress clothes. Like stuff I, with collars, like stuff with collars and yeah. belt and loops. I, and I stained them up. So I got to take them to the dry cleaner and, uh, and then the barber shop, I usually stop. I just randomly stop in once or twice a week, and uh, just kind of hang out, meet people. The barber shop, you know, the barbers, uh, they're pretty engaged with some of our boys. So mm-hmm. the the boys will stop in the barber shop, get their haircut, and they'll act, you know, a little informer, informal uh, mentoring going on. Uh-huh. So getting little updates. There's this there's this guy I have on the show on Fridays. I do a UFC show, and he's a former UFC welterweight, and his name is um, uh, Darian Weeks, black dude. And he and he and he owns a barbershop Also, it's called I think it's called like the Weekly Cut, kind of like a play off of his name. Yeah. But also like, hey, come in here every week. And I thought that was kind of cool because you know, like for me, my my lifestyle around the barber is is like wait as long as possible till that shit's just so long that I look like a Muppet and then go in and cut it. But for some people, it's like part of their every week. Yeah. It's like part of their uh, routine. It's where they go to hang out. They know people, they get tightened up. And I just thought that was cool. It's, it's like, just like a, a, a social or cultural thing that I'm completely fucking oblivious to. Yeah. I mean, I cut my own hair. I, there's not much to it. I can't, can't justify wasting 50 bucks a week on a shape up. Um, you know, I, I don't, uh, it's funny. Um, I, I always brag on this show that I don't believe, I don't believe in, in gender roles, like do whatever the fuck you want. You want to wear a pink dress and carry a chainsaw. Like I don't give a shit, but whenever I hear about cutting your own hair, I do put that in my things that I don't do that. I wish I did do that. I think would make me, I don't know if a man is the right word, but at least more of an independent human being. It's one of the things I'm most embarrassed about that. I've never just taken a shaver to my head and cut my hair. It seems like just like a fundamental, like, well, I got to get one under my belt before I die. 
I mean, my forehead gets bigger every day. <laughs> every time you cut it, it's like so there's no like my hairline is back here. And then when it grows, it grows like this, but nothing grows right here. Well, you you have you have there's a shadow there. There's a five o'clock shadow there yeah. a little bit. It's like this this spot right here. I get little kids that I coach. I'll be sitting down, and they'll walk up and just rub this part of my head. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I cut mine. I look peaky blinder, but it saved a lot of uh, a lot of cash. Look, you you you're, you have the same shirt in your uh, profile picture that I'm wearing today. I love it. Hmm. Not you, not you. I need to send you a shirt. Yeah, I'd I got shirts we could send you too. I'd love to send you a shirt. Um, do you know Adam? Do you know how you popped on my radar? Yeah, from Mr. Waddell, old Jimmy Waddell. Yeah, how do you how do you know him? <laughs> so, 2018, I got an invite to the MDL. M was it the MDL at CF headquarters? Yeah, the the it's it's a CrossFit level one seminar, but for doctors only. Well, they they invite a bunch of nonprofits out there too. Okay. So I'm I'm up in there, you know, and I walk through the back door and I seen two dudes with flannel shirts and jeans. And uh -huh. I'm like, I want to know who those dudes are. <laughs> you know, you recognize if your shirt's not tucked in what that means? <laughs> what the, yeah, I mean it means, it means you got something in the waistband you don't want anyone to see. Right. And and plus everyone else, you know, besides, you know, Greg Glassman was dressed like a crossfitter from what I could see. Yeah. And uh, I was with a guy who was a colonel in Delta Force, and he had on khakis with a plaid shirt tucked into his belt with dress shoes. So he didn't fit the part. And uh, so we got introduced to Martone and Jim Waddell, and I couldn't leave their side all weekend. They were like my two guys. And then I, I came back home and I told uh, the founder of Green Beret Project, who was a Green Beret. And uh, he's currently an FBI agent. I'm like, yo, there's this super dynamic guy, Jim, former DA. I'm like, you got to meet him. So I connect those two over the phone. Next thing you know, our founders, like that guy's our new executive director. And I'm oh, like, shit. oh, shit. He's like, no, man, that guy's awesome. And I just identified it right away over the phone. We talked for like two hours and we recruited him to be the executive director of Greenberry Project. Yeah, he's a special guy. Yeah. So since 2018, I've probably, you know, I've been in, spent hours and hours on the phone. I've only been in his presence like three or four times, but I've spent countless hours over the phone with him. So he's so enjoyable. Uh, he's so I, I've uh, been fortunate to hang out with him a lot and he's so enjoyable. Great sense of humor. A crazy well read. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, and, and uh, the, you know, the kind of guy that like. You could you would want as a, a father or a brother-in-law or like immediately you kind of like, huh, how could I get this guy in my family? Yeah. He's like uh he's like the fun uncle. Um are, are you are you a Christian, Adam? Yes. It, were you always a Christian? Uh no. And, and, and when did that happen? Oh man, three months in to a prison sentence. Well, I wasn't sentenced yet. The feds had said uh, they threw out some numbers that were equal to life, <laughs> and uh, meaning you would be behind bars equal to equal. You'd die in there, but by the right. numbers were so big. Okay, so they what they do is you know I had this uh, I had a large marijuana 
charge, large cocaine charge of money laundering. And that was just the beginning. They probably could have unfolded many more charges. And they just say, hey, man, you're going to get what we call continuing career enterprise, which is automatic life in prison. And uh, I knew that was, you know, I knew somehow in my in my heart, my brain that that just wasn't going to happen. You know, but I knew it was a large bargaining chip on their end. And uh, but, you know, I was angry. I, you know, I was angry at the inmates, angry friends, angry at the COs. I was angry at people. I couldn't even remember why. I was how, how old were you? 27. Mm-hmm. When that happened, that was back in uh 2007. You know, so I'm sitting in this in this holdover prison waiting to get sentenced. And there's like, you know, I'm in an area where we had a lot of dudes from Philly, Jersey City, and New York City, and then Wilmington, Delaware, like, you know, large scale criminal operation type dudes. And I remember this one dude, he was a blood and uh he was a blood gang member and he came up to me and he's like, he's like, Hey man, I'm praying for you. And I was like, Hey man, I'm not scared. White boy. Say that again. We're going to go lock in that cell, you know? And, and I meant it. And, uh, you know, so a couple of days went by and, and this other dude that didn't really know him, he came up to me and he was like, Hey Kramer, I'm praying for you. And this dude would have, I mean, he would have mopped the floor with me. And I slammed this Bible on the floor. Oh, he handed you a Bible? Well, it was sitting like it was on the table. He was sitting down. I was standing up and he had a Bible next to him. And I slapped his Bible on the floor. I was just testing him like, like, do something. You know, you just told yeah. me you're praying for me. I knocked your yeah. Bible on the floor. What are you going to do? Yeah. And he just laughed. And he was like, you can't stop me for praying for you back in my prison cell. And then I went back to my prison cell and all my criminal ways of thinking. I'm like, how can I be mad at a guy who's just said he's praying for me? And both these dudes were facing like a significant, like decades in jail for their, for their crimes. And, uh, man, they were waiting for, they were waiting for trial too. Right. And dude, it bothered me a lot that how like even keel he was, that bot that made me angry too. And uh, you know, watching all the gangbangers, watching all, you know, dudes from other religions, you know, you you're you're on the block with them 24 hours a day, besides when you lock in at nighttime, and you just you just see the the uh the chaotic behaviors and and they're they're like angry, you know, and then they're even and then they're they're just all their emotions are all over the place. And uh and not all the Christians, but, you know, most of these Christian dudes on the block, it just bothered me how they could handle different situations. And I was with them for like, I mean, so that went on for like three or four months. And then uh, I went. Sorry, just for just for uh, a placement. This isn't the prison yet. This is still like county jail you're in. So it was a county jail that had a contract with the federal government to house 150 federal inmates. And they how were, long were you in, you were in there during the court case? How, how long was that? Three years. Before you switched to another prison? Yeah. Holy fuck. Okay. It sorry. Okay. Go on. No grass. Like the only thing you could see was the sky. You couldn't, when you went to the yard, they had, uh, you know, metal walls where you couldn't see out uh, yeah. outside. You could just see the sky. So you didn't see the horizon for three years? No. Every once in a while, I could see an airplane through like a tiny, 
prison window I had. Um, so like I started going down to the, uh, the church service, but I literally was just going down there to meet my co-defendant who was on a different blocks. So we could talk about our case and what was going on and who, you know, who was telling and who was, you know, ready to testify against us. And, uh, one day this pastor was in there and he was like, um, he's like, Oh, I did 18 years of prison. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, smoking crack and prostitutes and his robberies. And I'm like, man, this guy looks put together though, you know? So that like was weighing in my heart. And then I signed up for NAAA, go see the chaplain. I signed up to, uh, to go see this pastor just to get off the block. Cause I was just bored. And, uh, this pastor dude is like, love you, man. And I'll be like, F you, you don't even know me, you know, like a child. You would, you would say that to him. Right to his face. Every Monday I will go back and, and just cuss him out, cuss him out for like two months trying to take him, like just testing him. And man, finally, I'm like, what's with you, man? You're, you're breaking me down. Like you're breaking me down. I, you're making me mad through the whole week and you don't even know that you're making me mad. And that's like, to me, I'm like, he's getting me twice. And, uh, and finally it just broke. I'm like, man, what do I do? And he said, read, you know, he's giving me this old like Baptist adage. He's like, read John chapter three. And I'm like, I'm going to read John chapter three and I'm going to read the whole freaking new Testament, you know, just to prove you wrong. And man, I was at, I mean, it was like a miracle. I was reading through the new Testament in my prison cell and I could just feel like it was making me calm. And then I'd put the Bible down, I'd go out on the prison block and I'd be like, you know, I'd be trying to do, you know, I'd be working out, playing pinochle, playing Scrabble. And and it it was just driving me like my, I just couldn't settle on my inside. So I'm like, in my head, I'm like, you know what? All I know is that's making me feel all right. I don't really understand what I'm reading yet. And I'm just going to keep studying it and try to understand it. And, uh, so 2008, I was, you know, facing the worst external circumstances of my life, but I never felt more at peace. So I'm like, whatever, I'm going to go with this. And if I go to jail for prison forever long, it's, that's just what it's going to be. I can't keep I can't keep thinking about it. You know, I'm going to have like a freaking anxiety attack or heart attack or something. And uh, was there one moment in time where you just accepted it? I don't, you know, people ask that all the time. I think it was just like a lot of events just kind okay. of kept happening over the course of a few months. And uh, it just kind of slowly changed. And even like at one point, my co-defendant and I were back on the block together. And uh, he he went in my cell and found my Bible and ran out on the block. He's like, what's this? What's this? He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, hey, man. He's like hustling coffee on the block, trying right, to get me to right. hustle coffee with him and and barter. And I'm like, dude, like we were doing that on the street. This I'm not going to sit in this jail and hustle coffee. It's he wanted like, to continue the business crazy. inside. Yeah, yeah. He was just the he was running this gambling racket, and I'm just like, dude, I can't be a part of it right now. Just can't do it. Uh, yeah. So you know, that went on for like three years, and uh. Man, I just asked all the questions I could. And, you know, I didn't want to be some guy like, oh, I'm just jailhouse religion type of thing. You know, I would be no, like a fake. You know, even my old man, I made up with my dad and he came to visit me 
And I'm like, hey, hey, man, I'm reading the Bible. He was like, whatever. He was like, you'll do anything to keep your mind occupied. I know you. You're you're bored and you're just reading the only thing that you have in front of you. And I'm like, yeah, that might be the case, but it's making me feel good. And he said, we'll see when you get out. We'll see. And I'm like, you know, you know, that's fair enough because he went through years of turmoil, you know, never knowing if he was going to get a call saying, oh, your son's dead, you know. And he got many a calls from, uh, I mean, I was arrested 11 times just in Delaware alone with 29 charges. Crazy. I got multiple charges in Pennsylvania. You know, I live in an area where I can be in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or Maryland within 20 minutes. So I got arrested in all those states. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's wild times. Do, do, do you remember um, when you're like, wow, I'm a Christian? When you identify with it like that? I think it was like early in 2008. And and, and when you say that, um, is it, does that mean that you're going to practice the tenets? Like, the, Hey man, there's love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love people as you love yourself, you know, and, mm. above, and on those two commandments, all the other 10 commandments hang. I mean, that's, that's a new Testament, what Jesus teaches in the, uh, in the Bible. Uh, would you say those are values? Yeah, I mean, there's another verse that says uh, that they really taught me that that helped me a lot because you got to understand, I lived a criminal life from the ages, even from even a younger age. You know, there's a lot of crime being done. And then when I was 15 is when it really started taking off. So from 15 to 27, I'm committing crime every day. And uh, that's that's all I knew, you know, is how to how to commit crime and make money. And we were we weren't too bad at it besides our uh, addictions on the side. But. It said love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And meekness means like being able to negotiate in a calm manner and temperance, which is self-control. But at the end of those nine, it says against these, there is no law. And I'm like, boom, because I don't like even though I'm a Christian, I'm like, if you let me out of this jail right now, I'm going straight to the bar. I'm drinking. I'm probably going to get some lines of Coke and, and some women. Like, that's how I feel in my heart. And I don't care what you say. Yeah, I believe in this, but I still feel like doing this. Sure. So, so when I, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against these is no such law. I'm like, okay, so I need to figure out how to live like this. And then I don't have to worry about breaking the law because I don't know how to live at this point, even though I got, you know, I had a college degree. It didn't matter. I, you know, that college degree was for a cover up. And, you know, we were paying for other kids college tuitions to go to college to sell drugs, you know, because what's 60, 70 G's a year if you're making a couple hundred for us on the back end. But uh, you, yeah. you were in this 15 to 20 in, in this uh, 12 year run. You, you also went to college while you were running this business. This drug so, business. I saw the, uh, the post to make it clear. I wasn't making 10 million when I was 15. It more so started small. You know, I was making like five hundred or a thousand bucks a week. Yeah, and uh, you know, I went through. I threw. You know, I was on my way to D one full ride baseball, and uh, you know, I was a wrestler and a football player to stay in shape to be a good catcher on the on the baseball diamond, and uh, selling drugs was just like it was a whole bunch of boys that didn't have dads growing up in a blue collar neighborhood. That's who we were you know, bricklayers, plumbers, you name it, any type of construction, we'd work to cover up, meet other drug dealers. 
you know, the D1 thing went out the window because I was getting arrested and my grades weren't that great. And I went to the local community college, majored in sports man. I majored in construction management and they dropped the major. And then I, I switched one day. They're like, you need a new major. And I'm like looking down the list, uh, sports management. Boom. I'll do that. And that was like, you know, I don't know if anyone listened or took a sports management degree, but it didn't, I didn't learn anything. That's exactly what I did too. After like five years is, is a undergrad. Then I started just looking like, Hey, how, how am I going to get out of here? Yeah. I started just looking for stuff where my, my classes lined up. Hey, how long did you, did you ever carry a gun? Occasionally. How long did you deal before you carried a gun? Was it years? Uh, So I was honestly was scared to carry a gun because I'm the type of guy that's like, Hey, if I have a spoon, I'm going to eat some soup. Right. 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 And I knew that about myself and uh, the other guys knew that about me. So like if we walked into a dangerous deal, it'd be like, okay, we might need to, you know, we're going to need to strap up on this one. But like, I didn't just carry a gun just to carry a gun because I, cause I drank a lot and I would black out and do, you know, I would fight. And uh, I knew if I was blacked out, and I got in a fight, there'd be there. I'd no doubt in my mind I'd get that thing out and I'd use it. Right. So right. I never, I'd never tried to carry, like it wasn't a normal practice for me. I was kind of nervous. Was it just for when you would carry a gun? Did you ever carry them into marijuana deals or just Coke deals? I always thought that there was kind of like a thing there. Cause you know what I mean? Like I used yeah. to sell a lot of weed and then, but none of the weed dealers really carried guns, but you knew that the Coke dealers carried guns and shit. We always got a little weird. Like yeah. that, the one I hear that I didn't know that you dealt Coke either that shit. Cause those people start to get a little crazy, little hairy. And we, so we, we didn't deal Coke in a large amount. We'd get like two or three kilos at a time. But the thing of it is most of the, the Coke and the good Coke around here is coming from like Dominicans up in New York. Right. You know, we never dealt with, uh, there's a there's a heavy Mexican cartel thing around here. Never tried to deal with them, and we would deal with these Dominicans. and And you know they they were more dangerous, but we use cocaine more as a bartering tool with rich white people. Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, what? Give me an example. Hey man, you know guys that own dealerships got cars. We got good product. Uh, guys that own restaurants. Hey man, you know what they're about, right? right? So we can get in the door free at the club. We can get free cars. So it was more of a, a bartering thing for us because, you know, we were getting really good blow, right? And it was cooking back and I, I, people were overdosing, you know, it's like, because we, we were still young, right? And you still got kids in college. And once that happened a couple of times, I'm like, this is scary, man. Like we're making so much damn money off the weed. Why don't we just, you know, like there was a, even a period of gap in time when I was like 20, 21, the feds were on us and I stopped dealing. I graduated college. I legit tried to go get a real job yeah. and they offered me, it was at a single A baseball organization under the Kansas City Royals. And they offered me like 35 grand a year. And I'm like, what? <laughs> 35 grand a year? I'm making that in like a couple months, less than a couple months. So that's when I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop playing the fence here. Meaning I'm going to like, you know, for a long time, I was like a student and a drug dealer. Right. And that's, 
And then it was like, okay, I'm either going to be in the workforce or I'm going to be a drug dealer. Like I can't, it, we're getting too old to play the fence. It's too dangerous. So I'm like, I still like doing what I want, what I want, how I want. I still like partying. So uh, my girlfriend broke up with me and uh, I was full fledged. Right on. How, how did you know that the feds were tracking you? Because one of my buddies was like the feds approached me. They tried to arrest me for a very small amount of drugs. And fortunately, my boy was uh, he was he was this wild cat that wasn't scared of the cops. And he was like, man, I had an ounce of weed on me and the feds had me up. And they said, we want you to put a wire on and go catch Kramer and this other guy. And he told him, you know, put me in jail. It's an ounce of weed. What are you going to do? Yeah. And he told us. And I'm like, man, I'm I'm done right now. Yeah. That'll scare the shit out of you. Yeah, twenty years old, knowing feds are on you. It's like we're out. Um, to to you weren't growing marijuana; you were buying it and then selling it straight from the grower. So we cut out all the middlemen and oh. went straight for the grower in Canada, and that's who we were dealing with. And would you would you go take it back and forth across the border yourself? No, that wasn't our job. They contract people out to do that. We're and the how, we're the buyer. They got to get it to us. And and did they have someone on the inside uh, at the border to get, do you know how they got it across? Did you ever hear stories? No questions. Wasn't my, you know, the old saying, it's none of my business. And that's some business you just, I didn't really want to know, you know? Right. Too much. You know, too you much. You got to sell a lot of weed. If you're not the grow, I, I used to grow all my weed. So I would say, and I would sell it and I would sell it for $60 a bag. I mean, so, so the profits were pretty, were pretty good, but to, I mean, that's a that you know what I mean. Like if you sell ten bags in a day, you got six hundred bucks. I mean, sh- I mean, I mean we were selling like uh, I'd get I don't know three, four hundred, five hundred pounds every. Oh my weeks. god! Couldn't find one seed in there. Oh my god! And and the minimum price we were buying was twenty two hundred per, but we were selling for at least forty two hundred per. Oh my goodness. So that's what you, you didn't sell. I was selling eights. You were selling pounds. You would sell a pound to someone. There was a point in time where if you didn't have 250 K in cash, don't even talk to us. Wow. And so you were selling, it would get distributed all over the United States. No, just down the East coast. Try to keep it tight. And and how, how, how would the, um, how do you, what's the packaging like for that much marijuana? Is it, on a um, pallet or these ding dongs would come down some it mostly, you know, vacuum sealed individual pounds and in like a, uh, like a hockey bag. Wow. Like one time these ding dongs show up and they got like a pickup truck with like, they would always come with whatever they grew is what they would send. So it'd be like 313 or 280. Right. One time it was just, a whole bunch of loose pounds in the back of a pickup truck with trash bags over it. And this freaking fat guy with a overalls and no t-shirt, no socks or shoes on gets out. And I'm like, what the freak is going on here? Wow. And and then my partner was like, dude, you can't talk to them like that. And I'm like, yo man, he's going to get us all pinched. Like never send that guy again. And then they started wising up and they'd send like old ladies in a Lincoln town car with a couple hundred pounds in the back. It was always uh, sketchy. Always. Um, and, and did you have competitors? Did you have in, in the area? Yeah, but Delaware is such a small place that you just know who all the players are. So it was like, look, man, you know, no one's out for blood around here. 
we didn't even do most of our dealing in Delaware. You try to, cause it's so we, we have 995,000 people here, you know? So I got 16 cousins here. Like people know. Right. Nah, uh, but we got the university of Delaware, which is a lot of people. And you know, a lot of kids from like long Island, New York, North Jersey come down and, and you get to know them people. And then you got kids coming up from Baltimore and you get to know them. So you start meeting these people from out of state and that's where you want to do most of your, uh, your business. Like you don't want to, <laughs> I'm not even going to answer that question. Wow. Uh, do you know, Hunt? did you know Hunter? Uh, I don't know him personally now, but oh, okay. it's Delaware. So everyone kind of knows everyone. Yeah. I mean, I've been swimming in, in old Smokey Joe's pool before. Wow. Wow. He lives like five minutes down the road. Oh my goodness. So his, what, a, what a small world. His, uh, his daughter's my agent. We, I used to, so I used to work for her actually a few years ago. She's, uh, She's actually very her his daughters, I will say she's a very caring young woman. And uh, you know those kids have been through some shit, man. Yeah. Those kids like Hunter Biden's not I mean, if if you if you told us if his dad wasn't Joe, probably people would have some compassion for him. He's been through yeah. some fuck what a fucked up life he's had. I mean, and that's like, you know, hey man, your dad's absent, whether it's your dad's in jail dead or off doing politics somewhere, you know, there's yeah. missing you know, his father was missing. Right. And I don't think people take that into consideration. They just, and his mom died and he's a, it was a hardcore drug addict and he's got, and he's got really, he doesn't have values. I mean, he was escaping reality, right? Yeah. He was was jacked up. And I mean, I did the same thing. You know, my dad left, I couldn't handle it. I was angry, started doing drugs, hanging out with the wrong people. Boom. Next thing I know, selling all these drugs. Adam, where did your dad go? Uh, you know, him and, uh, and my mom, you know, they were 20 when they had me, tried to duke it out for 12 years, and they just didn't wow. go along. And uh, he moved. I mean, he lived right down the road. But, you know, right around when he left, my mom got breast cancer. And, you know, she she was on lots of medication. And she would lie about my dad. See you. Yeah, like, oh, you know, dad's not paying his money and 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 he was, but I didn't know that till I was 18 and it was just too late. Did your mom pass? She's probably gonna die within the next month. No shit. Same breast cancer? So she my mom is is a strong willed lady. So she was the youngest of nine. Her mother died three hours after she was born. And uh, she got breast cancer at 32 and the doctors are like, you're going to be dead in two months. And they told me that too. I was 12 years old and my mom pulled me in the hospital room and she said, don't listen to the doctors. I don't feel like I'm dying. I'm not dying. And she did not die. And then with over the years, she, she has lupus. She got kidney, throat cancer, survived, survived. But, you know, currently she, uh, she has pancreatic cancer and there's just no coming back. So she's uh, 62 years old. She's she's like a walking, talking miracle. Yeah. What a what a run. I mean, is she remarried? She remarried at one point, but they uh, got divorced. This dude was buck wild, man. He was this biker cat from Brooklyn. I don't even know how she met him, but he was 
He was a wild guy. Probably met him in the waiting room at the jail when she's visiting you. (laughs) Uh, uh, Do you have siblings? I got one sister, six years uh, younger than me. And uh, and uh, how's she doing? Uh, Not too good. She, uh, you know, when 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 mom and dad split, I was twelve. She was six, so it's like she got six years more than me. Of like, I got at least. You know, my dad was a pretty good disciplinarian, so I got at least some good discipline and manliness in me up till 12. Yeah. And she did not. So, uh, you know, she was doing good till she was like young 20s. She met some dirtbag boyfriend, you know, started doing pills and that led to one thing. And, you know, she got in a bad car accident. She almost got her leg cut off and she has a bunch of rods in her leg and that set her into a spiral and, you know, a little bit enabling from mom, but it's a tough situation. The, the reason why I asked going back to the, the Christian part is, um, I, I guess there's this, there's this misunderstanding. Maybe you had it when you went to jail and, and I had it for probably 45 years too, that, um, it's it, it, it. I mean, I know it's just a word, but when you find out someone's a Christian, like like Jimmy's a Christian, right? Jimmy Waddell, and there's just uh like like these guys who are practicing Christianity. They have some qualities about them that helps you like understand them better and makes you kind of want to be around those people. They have some values, whether they adhere to them or not. They're making the attempt to be live a certain kind of life right um i mean and, it, it was like forgiveness and unforgiveness was a big thing for me like i was so freaking angry at the 15 people that told me i was i was blame shifting like i shouldn't be in jail you know because if i wouldn't be here if them dudes didn't tell on me but no i had to no i would be in jail because i'm a freaking criminal right and then, and then I'm blaming it on mom and dad because of my upbringing. And it's like, nah, man, they, they taught you right from wrong, right? They didn't hold your hand through this criminal thing. Dude, I got, listen to this. My dad is an electrical engineer, successful. His father is a PhD chemical engineer. Actually grew up out in uh, like, you know, Chandler Boulevard in Holly, North Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So he okay. grew up out there. They were some Russians, you know, migrated from, uh, somewhere in Russia to Chicago, out to LA. You know, he was a PhD chemical engineer. My uncle Jim's a dentist. Do you know where he worked? Did he work in the in the um uh like the military complex? Did he work at like Hughes Aircraft or something like that? Who or my uh Boeing? My, your great grandfather? So that would be my great grandfather. He worked installing um like installation on warships. Yeah. I mean, that th- that makes sense. There, there were a lot of really, I mean, that's Greg Glassman's lineage too. There are a lot of really fucking smart people there working in the, in the, yep. uh, in the war, in the war machine, a lot of smart fucking engineers and scientists. Okay. That makes sense. And then, so his son, who was my grandfather ended up going to Caltech on a full ride, became a chemical engineer, got drafted to the army, did his time in the army, went to Purdue, got a PhD in chemical engineering and helped invent Kevlar with DuPont. Wow. And then my other grandfather's from the Southie Projects in Boston, and he was a state trooper, right? And my uncle Frank was a Fed, you know, state trooper and a federal agent. My uncle Timmy was a cop, you know. Cousin Tommy's been in the Air Force for twenty three years, so I got all these doctors and engineers, military and law enforcement. All the men I just mentioned are 
they're they're all like extroverted, you know, very active. So I'm like, I, I'm like, don't look at me like that. I'm like, if you grow up without a dad, who knows what would have happened to you too, right? So I, you know, my old man wasn't around and I had nobody giving me the manly discipline except for one of my, my friends down the street, his older brother was in a gang and man, I love what he was doing. I'm like, I want to be just like that. I want to be, he's 21 years old. He's got a house. He's got girls. He's got money, cars. He's got a, you know, low level job. I'm like, dude, I want to, that's great. And, and I aspired to be that unfortunately, but and, uh, you know, that's what that's what we do now. You know, we're coaching these kids that are living in a fatherless community. I'll, I'll, I'm not I, I hear you and I'm going to come to that in a second. Um, what, what kind of scale did you use? <laughs> um, oh, man, this thing was like like, you know, the little kitchen table ones that look like like this. Yeah, so, uh, they're like, you know, flat <laughs> silver. Yeah, like a was it a triple beam? No, it was this large. It was just a larger model of the tiny one you would put like ounces of meat on in your kitchen. It was a larger one, not it, digital. It was a digital, oh. large scale, so you could read. And most of the time, it was. I mean, it was on point, down to the gram. Like it. I mean, you're thinking a thousand. So you buy 200 pounds and they'd have it accurate to the gram. It's like, damn. Well, like, but they'd have each pound individually wrapped. Right, right. So you just take all those pounds and put them on, you know, because you might have some guy along the way who thinks yeah. they're smart and yeah. he's taking out 10 grams out of 200 pounds. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot of a lot of product. Right? I definitely do that. I would and, have definitely done that. And you, you know, people deal with you because that'd be. That's like you're you're getting paid to do a job and yeah. now you're trying to skim off the top. They ever try to buy weed from you after they drop it off? Or the guys who drop it off are like, hey, I just sold you uh, 200 pounds. Can I buy one yeah, pound I mean, back? If they, nah, nah. no, no. But they, I mean, if they wanted to, you know, get high or whatever, it'd be like, here, here you go. You yeah. Know, whatever. Like, I mean, those, most of those dudes, they're just the, they're like the guinea pigs, right? They're, they're getting hired. And usually it was a, like a, I wouldn't say guinea pig. It was at that level. They're usually hiring some like gang outfit to take care of the driving. Um, any, any, um, any deliveries not make it where like you're waiting for the delivery and then you get a call. Hey, he got stopped at the border. That one's not coming. Yeah. Yep. But it wasn't our guy. We, we got that call a couple times. They were like, just be on standby. And it'd be like, be on standby for how long? And they're like, just be on standby. And it'd be like, I remember one time it was like two weeks, just on standby for two weeks and, and everything's drying up, you know, and people are freaking blowing your phone up looking for, because, you know, it's just all business, business, business. And people yeah, supply and demand. I, as I, as I b built up to um, c coming to talk to you today over the last, you know, week or two, <clears throat> I started thinking like, how did my parents not know that I was dealing weed? And then I just realized because my parents were working. I mean, I had a mom and dad around, but they, they just, they just worked. They were just, you know what I mean? And no one asked where I went on the weekends. No one asked, like, no one even asked me if I went to school. I didn't even go like, you know what I mean? I'd say I was going to school, but I just wouldn't. 
Hmm. And um, I'm assuming it was like that for you. Like I, 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 I guess, I guess it was like that for you too, right? There was just no one monitoring you and you wanted to make money. Like I never thought I was doing it. Did you ever think you were doing anything bad? I never thought I was doing anything bad. I knew it was illegal, but I never yeah. thought it was like immoral or I was a bad person. I thought I was a good person. In high school, I didn't. It was like, whatever. I mean, yeah. I didn't really. I knew what we were doing was wrong. You know? But you would make the money and buy people sandwiches and shit, right? I mean, like you would take your friends out and like you were. We'd go hang out or, you know, and sometimes we would even take turns dealing, you know, because like, hey, man, I'm getting, you know, I feel like I'm getting hot and the principal or this teacher might know. So I'm going to scale back and then you hand it off to another guy and he'll do it for a while. Did your uh, mom know you were doing this or your dad? I think they they vaguely knew something was up. Suspected. Yeah. I mean, you know, my dad wasn't around much from the ages of 12. I didn't really get to know him again until I was like 18, 19. And, uh, you know, mom was sick a lot. I had a little sister. I was kind of self-sufficient during my high school years. And I remember my senior year, my mom, she said, I'm going to get married and moving out. And I'm like, huh, where am I going to live? And she was like, you're going to live at this house that I have and I'll pay for the house and I'm going to go live with my husband. So now I'm like, I'm 18 my senior year. And I'm like, this is great. This is great. Now I'm really free. And I actually got honor roll my senior year of high school. Wow. Just to kind of like, because you want to keep the heat off, you know? Dude, we have such similar stories. When I was a sophomore in high school, my mom kicked me out and my dad had an apartment complex, like in the hood, like the crazy hood. And it where people like my, 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 um, my neighbors, their rent would be in these apartment buildings would be like anywhere between $5 and $25 a month, but they still hadn't paid their rent in five years. Like create, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and he gave me and you're in from so from 16 to 18, I was just on my own. Basically. It's yeah. funny, I never even thought of it like that until I mean I'd see my parents now and again, like you know, like in passing. Just think about that though. 16 to 18, there's like zero discipline. Yeah, it was crazy. I drank I just I was just drink. Did you drink a lot of alcohol? I drank so much alcohol. Oh, I loved it. At the time, yeah. I loved it. It was my like I couldn't wait. And that's was part of the motivation to, to deal drugs. It's like, well, I need money to have fun. And meaning like get bags of drugs and do alcohol and drink alcohol. Right. So like when I figured out I could take an ounce of weed and I could sell, I could break it up into like 20.8 and not make it a full dime, have free weed, make a hundred bucks and keep flipping it. I'm like, oh, this is every day. Every day I had a system. I'd wake up around six. I'd, I'd buy an ounce of weed. I'd bag it up, get on the bus, go to school, sell dime bags till lunch, get smoked out at lunch, miss practice. The most dangerous time in America is after school, sell weed all after school, hang out at night. Same thing in the morning. I actually, I needed to go to school. To, for your business. For the business. God, and, and, you, were, and you were disciplined and scheduled and. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, kind of, but I mean, of course, you know, I was, I got arrested a few times. Did you ever get arrested at school? Uh, no, I don't know how the cops came to school looking for some of my friends. They've got, they got arrested. I somehow I, I never got arrested while I was at the school. That's the worst when the cops are at school. They put not because of us, but because 
our high school was kind of wild. They, I mean, we had a local PD guy stationed at the school. Fuck what, what, how, how that's it's fucking wild. And and that was just a, basically you were in and out of, did you ever have a real job between the age of 15 and, and 27? Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I worked, uh, I did a lot of masonry, like bricklaying jobs. I remember being a pizza delivery boy. Oh yeah. I did that. That was cool. Uh, man, what else did I do? I was a furniture repair guy. You know, I just kind of got these weird odd jobs to, you know, because you needed to have some type of income, right? Even though I was a student, I was like, I need some type of income. So, you know, I, I had jobs, nothing, nothing too. I, the best job I had, <laughs> I, I was, I had to get an internship for college in order to graduate. And I got a job working as a golf instructor for the LPGA. Wow. It was, and I did not know how to golf. It was they, so I was working if back in the day there was the McDonald's championship at a local country club and uh, I was part of the LPGA tour. So I got on board to do tournament staff as part of the internship. And then after the intern, that part of the internship was over, they were like, Hey, we need you to coach golf to kids in the projects. Do you know how to golf? I'm like, yeah, it's 22 50 an hour to coach kids in the projects. Wow. Golf? How much? Wow. And that was back in like 2000. So for two summers, I'd put on my nice, neat little shirt, little golf sh- shorts, and I would get a van and drive down to the projects and pick up all these kids and take them to the local golf course. No shit. It was it was wild because it I was work for like from 8 a.m. to around 1 or 2 p.m. And then I would just get hammered for the rest of the day, summertime, sell drugs, get hammered. How old then, were these kids? Oh, man, like 8 to 15. Wow. It was, it was like, and, and it's crazy. Cause that's what I do. I don't coach golf now, but I coach similar type of kids from similar type of neighborhood, but I was doing it back then. I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I definitely, they should have did a little bit more digging on me before they let me drive all those kids back and forth. I, I, I ran a home for disabled adults. I don't remember what year it was, but I did it for five years. It was probably, let's say, I'm just making this up. Let's say it was 1999 to 2004. And I started there at $7 an hour. And when I left there, I had more than 20 people working for me. And I ran the fucking house and I, st- and I was only making like 1975 an hour. And that's in California. So fucking 22 bucks to teach fucking golf in the hood is crazy. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. And it was an internship. I wasn't technically starting. I wasn't technically allowed to get paid. And the college was like, you're not allowed to get paid to do this. And I'm like, listen, I need money. I'm a college student. I mean, I had tons of money coming in from other sources, but they didn't know that. I mean, it sounds like you just, uh, it sounds like you always just had kind of a good head on your shoulder anyway, just like the fact that you were still interested, you needed stimulation. The fact that you needed yeah. stimulation from these jobs, you needed stimulation, just you, you wanted to be, you didn't just want to turn into just a fucking kingpin or a burner or, you know, you could have got sucked up into crazy drug use, right? You could have got sucked up into, into violent crime, but you didn't. Somehow you managed to keep one foot in like reality. It was crazy. I mean, we, we kind of still had this like sense of morals about us. 
I mean, because even though we're we're from like, you know, kind of hard working blue collar neighborhood and, uh, you know, you still had people checking you, you know, like, hey, man, you can't be, you know, check, treating girls like that or, you know, like sniffing a bunch of cocaine and drinking and then sobering up was cool. But like getting hooked on on dope or, you know, sniffing meth or something was like taboo. Right. Even to the drug dealers, because then no one wants to deal with you. Right. Right. You know, it was like, you're, you're this guy that's dealing all these drugs and, and you're starting to meet people like out of state, different cities, different countries, and they don't want to deal with that crap. Yeah. All the people who ended up getting into methamphetamines, whether it be Coke or meth or whatever, they just start getting so fucking weird and tense. Yeah. They're the guys who have a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other. And you're like, what the fuck? I mean, that was probably the, I mean... I sniffed meth before, but not, I, I couldn't handle it. I'm like, I'm done with this. And then, I mean, we were some partying cocaine guys, but uh, there was just a sense like, Hey man, you've been up for two days. What, you know, like, what are you doing? We're not yeah. even going to allow you. We're not going to allow you to, to conduct business like this. And it's like, well, damn. You well, know? Uh, Adam, what was the most you ever got popped with? Like in an actual bust? Nothing. I mean, or I got busted when I was 15 with an ounce of weed. But they never rolled in on you and you got 100 pounds in the trunk. No. It One ended time. up just being all wires and photos and shit like that. No wires, no photos. It was uh, in the federal government. It was uh, hearsay, meaning two people said he did it. And then they got 15 people to say he did it. And uh, one time I got pulled over, I had like. I don't know, like a hundred pills of ecstasy on me. And I, I just talked my way out of it. He kept asking to search my car and I'm like, nah, man, I'm speeding. Like, give me a speeding ticket. Let me go. Well, that could have been horrible. I would easily got three to five for that. It just wasn't was the my- longest you were in jail before you did the seven years. Uh, months, three months. Okay. So you had a little practice. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but not really. I mean, that first six months is like, it's rough. It's rough. And then kind of getting a groove and you're starting to meet people. And at least, you know, you know, you, you get in a routine and that, you know, it gets a little better. But that first three years when you don't know, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. That was like, that was pretty hard. Once you get to the prison. You're like, okay, I see light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to, I'm going to put my head down. When you get to the federal prison, you have a job 40 hours a week. You know, so I was working 40 hours a week. I was on a softball league, you know, playing handball, going to church, you know, so it prison time got a little easier. You went to 10 different prisons. Yeah. They're uh, mainly because once I was, I was at the end of my federal prison sentence and, uh, I thought I was going home. I knew I had some old DUIs hanging out that I had to go take care of. I had been writing letters to this. I had one in Delaware and one in Pennsylvania. And they were like, just come see us when you get out and we'll take care of the case. And uh, when I got out, there was two different county. The prison guards like you got two different counties here trying. They're fighting over you in the parking lot. Who's going to take you? I was like, oh, what the freak? And uh so from that point, I went to Jersey. I went to. Wait a second. You're federal. You served your time. And the day you got out, some dudes were waiting for you for a DUI. 
Yeah. It, God, that sounds like a waste of taxpayers' money. It, fuck, that sounds it, like a I fuck up. I did 13 months after that. Oh, my God. In a state prison in Pennsylvania. And they were transferring me. Like, I went from one to, I went to six different jails. And within 13 months, it it was it was wild, man. And it was like, you know, in the feds, it's probably not what you think you hear everything on TV, but it is better than a state prison. You're, I mean, the people you deal with are better because they're more intelligent. And the, you know, there's only 220,000 inmates, federal inmates in the whole country. Mm. But there's like over, I don't know what it is. It's like 3.3 million state inmate. Or That's insane, by the way. That's one in 300 people. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, listen, here's a crazy statistic. So we have uh, 5%. We, United States, have around 5% of the whole world's population, but we have 25% of the whole world's incarcerated. Tell me, think about that. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's absolutely nuts. I'm not against prison. I needed to go to prison. I did not need to go to prison for two years for a DUI, maybe a couple months. I'm not saying DUIs are terrible crime. After you do seven years, there should be, there needs to be some sort of wash. Yeah. Like after you do, after you've been in for seven years, there needs to be like, Hey, if the, if the warden vouches for you, you're anything that's below this, anything that's like a nonviolent crime gets washed or something. Listen, I did my, my fed time, went to Pennsylvania, did 13 months. I was on parole in Pennsylvania and I had a federal probation officer I had to go back to court four months after I was out living at home. I was out, went back to court for a DUI that was 10 years old. And the, and the judge was like, sick, you're getting 60 days in the County. I was after like, you've been out for four months. I was like, are you nuts? And my hey, Lord, had you been sober at that time? Yep. The, the day. That's another thing. If you've been sober for fucking seven years and then they finally get you somewhere, they got to be like, all right, you're good. I'm like 60 days in the county. I got a job. I got two probation officers at this point. And they and the, my lawyer was like, be quiet, be quiet. They're going to give you more time. And I was like, all right. And the guy was like, report tomorrow. So boom, I report to the local county jail and I end up doing seven days in the county. And then they put me on the ankle bracelet for the remainder of the time. Did your parole officers from those other areas like vouch for you? Like they're like, yeah. yo, yeah, my fed PO was awesome. She was awesome lady. She, I almost went back to jail because the, I had two state probation officers for two different DUIs, which is a whole nother waste of time. And, uh, it was getting hard to, you, you had to report to your PO from nine to three. And I'm like, I work construction. They already know I'm on probation, but I can't keep leaving because taking the bus takes all day. And I called the fed PO. I said, look, they're ready to put me back in jail. My federal PO came to pick me up and took me to my state PO's meeting and then took me back to work. Like she was a beast. I like that lady helped. She literally helped me get to the next level just by doing stuff like that. 
uh, what Sean Sullivan? What if you kill people while DUI? Listen, I, I I have been very outspoken. I don't give two fu- and I'm not speaking for Adam here. I don't give two fucking cents about fucking people like George Floyd. You have to know that. I have three little boys. I, anytime I hear someone who's drunk driving or high on meth or on fentanyl driving around the streets, I just picture my boy on a tricycle in a car driving by him with a drunk driver. I don't give a fuck if lightning strikes and kills those people. I really don't. I'm sorry to be lack compassion. That being said, if he's fucking in jail for seven years and he hasn't had a drink and he gets out and you want to fucking get him for a DUI, why don't you just say to him, hey, we're going to talk to the warden. We're going to do a drug test on you right now to see if you have any, when the last time you drank alcohol and if it's all clean, you let him go. I'm just saying it's a waste of taxpayers' money at that time. Or why not just tell him, hey, he has to do 30 or 60 days in a, a AA thing or he has to, like something. But to, to a dude's already done seven years and, and and now you're going to grab him again, and he's got a clean record. Something to, it's. I don't want my money spent that way. I'm I mean, cool with that, go. dude. In Delaware, I don't know every other state, but I know in Delaware, it's an average. It's like fifty five thousand dollars a year to incarcerate. Sorry, Adam, you can't let people get away with small crimes. I agree. That's another thing. I fucking someone steals a pack of gum from a fucking Asian mom and dad who fucking slaving their ass off in the liquor store 18 hours a day. Take that kid out and spank the shit out of him. Put people away. I agree. Stealing's fucking horrible. But I'm just saying seven years in jail sober. You got it. You can't you can't like have you, you can't pick a guy up again after that for for something unless he's done something bad i just can't i just can't do it i mean i'm not against putting people in prison if they're getting multiple duis and i'm not saying you know but what i'm saying is that time should have ran concurrent right so there would have been dollars saved between the yeah yeah there you go concurrent you're right i should have been like serving my time and there was a lot of guys that did get concurrent sentences um and and again you know i'm not against prison I'm just saying I knew a lot of guys that shouldn't be in prison that were in prison. I I I know of I have an acquaintance who um who has a son who is in jail for um consensual sexual activity uh with a minor. And it like like you know like a 18 and a 15 year old type of thing. And he's doing like 6 years in jail. Oof. Yeah, something crazy like That's that. A rough oh, dude. Meanwhile, we have fucking people who are 31. We, I, I'm just reading this case of a 31-year-old woman who had fucking sex with a 13-year-old boy 10 times who's not in jail. Yeah. The system does not make sense. Yeah, it's I mean, like look, it, 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 I don't I don't know what the right thing is. I, I, I know that that's a, a touchy subject, but it's like, fuck, I'm man. There, there are some people getting fucked. I'm grateful for only yeah. getting the amount of time I got. Now, if I, and listen, I'm a white guy that had a college degree. Did that mm-hmm. help lower my sentence? Yeah, it did. And that's a t- touchy subject. But you think I that? Know, how, how do you know that? Because the feds did a background check on me to first grade, and they were like, "We want to know where this kid went wrong." Yeah. All right. So, you know, the fact that I had a college degree, the fact that no one in my family had ever been arrested, the fact that I had uncles or law enforcement, that helps. That helped me. It just did because they knew, okay, well, at least. Well, it could be the opposite. It could be the opposite today in California. That could hurt you. Well, true. I mean, I seen dudes from this area with lesser crimes than me that were from a bad neighborhood, different skin tone, and they they got more time. Damn. Well, that seems to be a common, uh, uh, like, uh, I, I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but that's a pretty common narrative, right? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, me, me, meanwhile, meanwhile, George Floyd, that was the third time George Floyd had been pulled over high on fentanyl. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. I saw, I saw just to, just to counter that. And sorry, I, I, I countered it a lot. If I would have done in my neighborhood, what George Floyd did, if the cops told me um, to keep my hands on the steering wheel and I wouldn't have kept my hands on the steering wheel 15 times, like they told them to, if I would have reached for my glove box, they had to beat the fuck out of me in, hmm. in, in Berkeley or Oakland, California. You would not have fucking gotten away with what he did. No fucking way. One time I squirted a cop with my windshield wiper fluid as I drove by on the freeway and they had fucking five cops come over and just fucking give me the work me over a little bit. Uh, I mean, I've been beat up by cops before. Yeah. That's I, uh, because I, I ran, you know, <laughs> Um. so, so you get out of uh, prison and what is the green beret project and why do they call it that? It's called the green beret project because a man who was a green beret, he was in third group special forces started it. Uh-huh. So I get involved. I get out. I'm on federal probation. I told a federal judge I was in this federal reentry program. That was a voluntary program for ex offenders to have a high level of accountability by their peers. And you get time off and you get certain other like job opportunities. And I'm like, sign me up. And then I told, uh, because I'm a little brazen and direct. I said, Hey, I said, whatever, whoever's in charge of this state, it's pretty stupid that they're paying $150,000 a year to incarcerate one boy. That's dumb. When that kid has an 80, at the time, it was right around 85% chance that they could recidivize, meaning get out, get arrested, come back. And I'm like, we're just wasting our money. This is stupid. When that kid just needs some stern love because he doesn't have a dad. Right. So I had one, uh, this federal chief of, of, he was a, the federal chief of probation, he said, I want that kid talking about me inside the juvenile detention center, coaching CrossFit the kids. And I didn't have a CrossFit license. So I'm like, huh? So I called, I just Googled CrossFit, found some number, called some random number and said, Hey man, I want my L one, but I don't have a thousand bucks. Just got out of prison on a coach's kids. They said, find a course, got the course. I would start going into juvenile detention center. Wait, what year was that? Uh, 15. Do you know who you called? Was it a woman or a man you spoke to? Woman. Was she in the training department? Uh, I don't know. She must have been. I, did, did, could her name have been Haley? Would you recognize her name if you heard her name? I don't think it was a Haley. Hmm. Interesting. I'd, I'd be very curious to know who that is. You know, they were super cool about it. There was no like, you know, I was, I was ready to rebuttal. Trump, whatever I had to do. And they were just like, yeah, just pick a course. I'm like, oh. No shit. And I picked a course. And down. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but like it, it surprises me that you got a hold of someone because we were really good at not getting, not letting anyone call us. But if you did get a hold of someone, I mean, fucking Greg was very, I mean, the, the, the staff knew, especially in 2015, the, the, the values of CrossFit was do the right thing for the right reasons for the right people. And so someone just like, well, he pounded that into us. Um, wow. Probably, you know, I could probably look through some emails, but anyway, I was coaching these kids. I, uh, did you like your L one? Sorry, before we get there, did you like it? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'd, I'd done CrossFit a few times. Like I, listen, I showed up to this CrossFit gym like two months after I got out of prison, I was in Dickie's 
you know, like the wife beater tank uh -huh. top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, that's all my boys wear. In my construction boots. Awesome. And they were like, what do you want? And I'm like, I want a student membership because I don't got enough money to pay the full thing. <sighs> and they were like, I'm like, listen, man, I just got out of prison. I need, I want to work out. And they, what gym was that? What gym was that? It's called a uh, hard bat athletics. It was hard bat CrossFit. Um, so the dudes were younger than me, this guy named Ian Harden and the other guy's name is Derek Batman. So Ian Harden has left. the. Gym That's his real last name. Batman, Aaron Batman, Derek, Bat Derek, Derek yeah. Batman. Wow. So he still owns the gym and the other guy has moved on, but, uh, that's why the name hard bat. Okay. Uh, so these two young, they were younger than me. They probably thought I was buck wild, man. I was like, it was like box jumps, running and pull-ups. And I dude, these women and, you know, I just got out of jail. These women in there were smoking me and I was getting fired up. I'm like, damn it, these women. And I, I couldn't do a kipping pull-up. But I'm like duking out these prison strict pull-ups. And uh I was definitely one of the last people to finish. I was I didn't I didn't like that at all. And uh you went in there by yourself, huh? Well, my cousin, she had been going there, so she just okay. had mentioned, hey, you should try this place. And that's where I just that's where I landed. And I mean, I was instant, like, because I'm I'm not I like I, I didn't really I don't like going to the gym like oh it's chest day it's leg day like it's just boring to me like we yeah. need the ding dongs in the gym I deadlift bench shrug and squat all in the same day in the same circuit but so boom started coaching these kids at juvenile detention facility I get invited by federal probation to speak at this like 300 person recidivism event and they had an ex offender panel four of us why 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 you why did they like you who did you leave an impression on the federal judge okay they they said we like the way you're able to articulate the message between ex-offenders and politicians and i said don't put me on that panel because i will i will tell the truth and i, I have nothing to lose and they were like that's why we want you i'm like sign me up i had three probation officers at the time and the same story i just told you I told all those people, I said, I'm not pointing fingers at the actual state probation officer, but the rules imposed on them are wrong. And you're setting dudes up for failure. I said, you got a guy with a college degree. I got three more college degrees while I was in prison. And I can't even handle this. A dude that doesn't even have a high school diploma, he's going to get out and go back to jail because he's going to give up. Like, Give me a break. I said, the feds are winning and the state's losing. And the, uh, and the, the senator's office approached me. And said, we want to talk. And I said, yeah, whatever. You're excited. This is a, an event. We'll see. A week later, I called that lady at the center's office. I said, listen here. I got 10 boys I'm coaching. And they're going to shoot each other. And I need help. I don't know anybody where you where you live. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Give me one second here, Adam. I want to connect some dots. Okay. So you get out of prison. Two months later, you're in a CrossFit gym. Right. So so you go to federal prison, then you get out and they're waiting for you for some old ass crimes. You do some more time for some uh, old ass DUIs. Then you get out finally and you're out and you're you're still and you're in Delaware now. Right. Correct. And are you living with that cousin, that female cousin at the time? Is she taking care of you or where are you living? Living with my dad, with your dad. Uh, well, that's cool. Yeah. And um, and then so you you call CrossFit and you get the level one. 
so you go to a CrossFit gym and you start training. Then you say, why do you call CrossFit to get to level one? Where do you find these kids at that you're like, oh, I need to get my level one so I can train these kids? I just knew that they were inside the detention facility. So I'm did, thinking. Had someone, had someone asked you to, to train them yet? Well, I had been throwing this idea around to the feds that, hey, maybe we could save some money as a state. Okay. Allow some ex offenders to go inside the juvie hall and love them in a stern manner, right? And tell them that's not right, but this is, and coming from an ex offender rather than coming from law enforcement. Okay. Sorry. I I got lost. And you did say all that. So you were in there now teaching this class. Right. And, and then, so sorry. And then right where we left off before I interrupted you, you were saying that you, you were you had these ten kids and you were gonna what was gonna happen? You were gonna lose them if you didn't. They were get gonna sh- they were gonna shoot each other. They were talking about it, and they were they lived an hour south of where I lived, and I didn't really have any connections down there. So I'm talking to this senator and I'm like, listen, I need help in this town called Dover. These kids are gonna get out and shoot each other, and she's like, I got a guy. I'll have him call you. So a week goes by. I call back. I'm like, he didn't call. And she's like kindly telling me that I should probably stop calling her. And I'm like, I'll call you once a week for the next year until that guy that you say can help me calls. A couple days later, this is the phone call of the century for me. What year is this? This is in, this is all the way up in 2016 now. Okay. He calls me. And he's like, this is, this is so-and-so from the FBI. And I'm thinking in my head, dang it, these people need to leave me alone. And he immediately says, I'm a Christian. I do CrossFit. And I just started a nonprofit helping at-risk boys called the Green Beret Project. And he just nailed it. Boom, boom. And now he's, I'm like, what? Yeah. And we talk for like two hours and my head's spinning. And uh, I'm trying to like, you know, digest all this stuff this guy's saying that I was trying to do, but I couldn't get through the red tape because I'm an ex-offender. Nobody wants, everyone knows what I'm saying is right, right. but they don't really want to take the chance on me because I'm an ex-offender. And I'm only two years out and I understand that. Hell, I ran this organization. People are, you know, nervous about what I could do next. So this is what sealed the deal for me. I get off the phone with this, with this guy And I call the chaplain from the first jail I was at, my first ever Christian mentor. And I told him the story. I'm like, he told me he was a Green Beret. And the chaplain just starts laughing. And I'm like, what is so funny, man? He was like, I was a Green Beret in the 60s and the 70s. And I was like, I'm like, this is it. I'm like, I did not know that the chaplain, I knew he was in the army. I knew he was a local PD guy. I knew he was a farmer, but I'm like, dude, I did not know that for eight years. And now I know it just came out that you were a Green Beret and this Green Beret just called me and I'm like, oh, this is it. So I just, you know, that was it. And ever since me and that guy, I mean, we probably talk every day. What's the guy's name? Uh, Justin Downham. Is he still in the FBI? Yep. Wow, that's crazy. And, and, and why why did he start this program? And because how many kids were in it when you met him? 12, 13. 
And, 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 and it was local to you? I mean, it was about 50 minutes south. And, and, um, and why did he start it originally? He, he just saw things on a grander scale, meaning, so first as a Green Beret, you know, he, you know, they're trained to build relationships with people. Uh, they're trained to, you know, if anyone's listening from the SF world, you know, I, I was not in the SF, so I don't, you know, know everything about it, but just from what I hear, you know, he's trained to build relationships with people. They're, they're trained to help people solve their own problems, not enable people. Right. So as an FBI agent, he's like, I'm tired of arresting this. I arrested this one guy multiple times and I shouldn't be doing that. It's a waste of taxpayer dollars when, when, Hey man, what if we just went into these neighborhoods where these kids didn't have dads and we just trained them to live successful lives, whether that's sending them to trade school military, uh, college, but even before that, spending time with them, building relationships with them, teaching them how to live and conduct their lives in a, in a, you know, in a manner that they can function in society. Right. Um, so is he married? Is he married? Yes. See this bald guy right here on the right, this guy tan looking bald guy. Yeah. So that's my boy, George Dobbins. He's, he had, I think, the 86 CrossFit gym ever, and he's still operating. Dude, dude that tattoo on his arm is crazy. And George. So George George just gave us a key to his gym and was like, just use it in off hours. And uh, currently we've trained up, you know, like I got like six kids that uh, like we, we just have a group membership at his gym. So kids can go there on their own. Not all kids, but certain certain boys that have been doing well. Uh, uh, how many kids are in the program now that you're responsible for? We're about 200. Holy but. shit. All at that same facility. No. So we have three locations and uh, the main location that I'm at, we probably have around 110, 120. Are there any normal people there at that gym? By normal people, I mean like dudes, like soccer moms who just walk in. Do they train well, side by side with these cats? So that gym you just saw is George's gym it's called Dover CrossFit that's a crazy fucking gym by the way he's he's got over 200 members um and like I said we only have like six or seven guys that are trained up well enough to go there on their own and these are guys that are like between 17 and 20 okay and and we've known them since the inception meaning I've known these boys since like sixth or seventh grade eighth ninth grade and now they're they're growing old. So they're like my kids. So they know if they mess up at that gym, it's going to be, there's going to be consequences. Right. Right. It's, it's your reputation on the line. Yeah. Um, so at, at George's gym, you know, that's just a normal functioning CrossFit gym. And it's cool because we can plug kids in there and now they're, I'm like, Hey man, you're on your own act right. while you are in there? You know, you, and, and the gym that you're at with these 110 kids is this is the place where you met a guy and he's like some rich cat and he's like, Hey, I'll, I'll give you this place for a dollar a year for six years. So that in the middle picture, that brick building. Yeah. That is the projects. So that's an old rundown community center that the, the housing authority still owns the building, but they let us manage the building. And then they pay all the bills. 
Is that different than the place that the guy gave you where he paid the utilities and give you the dollar a year lease? Is that different or is that the place? So I don't really know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. I saw an interview you did. Um, uh, it's, I think oh, it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Indian Sage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why so, did they call that show that? Totally fucking off topic here, but. <laughs> what do you mean? That show's called Indian Sage. No, that's the girl's name is India Sage. Oh, oh, gotcha. I was expecting like some like like Buddhist like floating on a carpet and like in okay, okay, gotcha. So I, I, should, what you're I need to learn about, how to read. Okay. <laughs> so what you're talking about was a Wilmington facility. We were we entered a contract for a dollar a year, and uh just turns out that guy was a crook, so we left. Oh, that's too bad. That sounded yeah. fun. Yeah, it was pretty like bad. a bad crook? Uh, you know, like not misappropriating fund federal dollars misappropriating state dollars stuff like that hey, it sounds like it was trickled down i'm gonna give him a pass yeah, yeah i mean <laughs> you know sounds i like did some kids benefit it i just uh was like yeah I, we just can't be a part of that you know because right, right. it all cost at all cost i'm protecting we are protecting you know justin's position at fbi oh, good, good point right oh look at this annie sakamoto that was at uh, Wadapalooza. You took a bunch of the dudes down to Wadapalooza that you trained? Yeah. So the dude in the middle was a full-time employee. He's like 27. But the other three dudes, they're all in the National Guard. And the dude with the glasses and the dude with the hat are both uh, correctional officers. And I've known both of them. since I've known all three of them dudes since they were 12 years old. And they're all 19. They're correctional officers now? Yeah. Meaning they work as guards in the prison? Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, I'm, it, I'm kind of nervous about it, but uh, we're you know continuing. You know, I see that kid multiple times a week. Um, you know, still mentoring him at a high level. I mean, he's 19. He was that kid was in a gang, and he's now he's a correction officer and he's military police. And the other day he came home. And he was like, "Yo, man," he's like, "Coach, I saw uh, you know, these two other kids that we used to coach, and they're in, they're in jail." And oh he's, shit. He's their jailer. And I'm like, that's crazy. All three all used to hang out on a block. Damn. And that just came from a lot of, you know, man, we used to discipline that kid and he'd cuss us out and leave. And we wouldn't see him for like three months. And it was, I mean, he was, he was wild. He's still a wild cat, but he's more tamed now. He, he was like me. He needs a high level of activity. You know, and and I said, listen, I just want you to be in the DOC for like two, maybe three years tops. And then we'll get you out of there. You'll get your college degree through your GI Bill. And he wants to be a state trooper, you know, but you can't in Delaware. You got to be at least 21 until you can be a local PD. And then if you want to be a state trooper, you have to have some college credits. So and, and the reason why you're nervous about him working in the jail is because he's around criminals all day. Well, I don't want him to get manipulated right. by the men in the prison. Right. Like, I don't want him to think it's cool to bring in a cell phone or a bag of drugs and give it to an inmate. Right. Yeah, for uh, for sure. It seems like more and more I hear stories. Um, I, I just saw a story yesterday. I'm trying to think. I saw a guy who was out. And he had married one of the females there who was 
one of the one of the correction officers. It just it just sounds like the, it's the, wild. Yeah, prison is just a wild a wild place. When you were there, did you see wild shit there? Yes, I saw. I mean, one day they locked they locked us in wherever you're at in the compound. Boom, you get locked in. I was on the racquetball court, which was outside, but inside a locked fence. And the FBI came on the compound and arrested a dozen or so guards and counselors. Like that was pretty crazy. And they just lock everyone there, stay still, and they lock everyone up and then arrest the people. Yep. And I mean, we all, I mean, we, we knew kind of what was going on. But at the end of the day, what I try to, even when I tell this young kid, I said the inmate is always going to tell on the prison guard when it, when it, he can only hide it for so long. Dude, there was dudes in the federal prison making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year hustling cell phones, hustling drugs. Oh, the uh, the guards. No, the inmates. Oh, oh no shit. It was cr- crazy how sophisticated some of these dudes were. And it used to drive me crazy because I'm like, if you just took half of your brain and put it towards something, you know, uh, productive, you would be like one of the best businessmen or best whatever. But all your energy is put towards this criminal life. I mean, yeah. you just you meet people that make our 10 million a year look like peanuts. Right. You meet there's dudes making 100 million a year. Right. And then you meet like crazy cartel dudes and Cubans and, you know, these Italian dudes. It's it just it's wild. You're like, wow, there's like some real deal criminals out there. As long as there's that much money involved in it, it's never going to go away either. No. When we when they picked us up, there was people filled our shoes overnight. Right. Do you know who they are too? I mean, I have an idea who did that, but right. So I, I mean, try. You can't, I mean, you, yeah. can't, you can't blame them. Like it's a, it's yeah. a job vacancy. Yeah. I mean, they they were doing what we were doing, and you know, one thing I I always tried to kind of like my friends were over here. And my drug associates were over here just in case. Like, I didn't want to have to be like, hey, you know, Johnny Boy's in jail because I he was dealing drugs for me, you know. I still have some of my same buddies who were my, like, wild high school, like, just fun type buddies. I still hang out with them every now and then. That's cool. You know, we they and they know my boundaries. You know, none of them are Christians. They know I'm a Christian, you know, some of them still might smoke joint, you know, they won't, you know, and they just, they just have respect me so much because we grew up to, I mean, we're boys from the hood, you know, we're right. grew up together. Um, uh, how, how, how assimilated are you in, with these people? Like I look at these pictures and you're the only fucking white dude in any of these pictures. Maybe occasionally there'll be another one. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, it was a like little, you pull up in this neighborhood and does anyone ever walk up and be like, yo, what day. the fuck are you doing here? Every day. I've had people be like, what are you doing here, white boy? And I, you know, this is my old tendencies. Yeah. I'll be like, I'm taking care of your kids. Now I'm like, oh, nervous. They're going to come over. Uh, but I've been in that, like, that was in the beginning. Now I've been in that neighborhood for six, seven years. Nobody even thinks twice. They're like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, they know what I'm about. 
Yeah. Right. They they were a little sketchy because you had an FBI agent and this ex-offender. They all thought I was an FBI agent, too. Yeah. Whenever when I lived in that neighborhood that I was in, if any time I left, like within a few blocks of my house right away, people just would call me a cop. Hey, Piggy, yeah. we're not yeah. stupid, Piggy. Well, I'm like, what are you judging me? Oh, because yeah. I'm white and bald. Now you think I'm a cop? Come on. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I would have thought that if I was a kid, I'd have looked at you and yeah. thought you were a cop. Some of them did. And now, you know, they just like with the kids, it's just consistency. Yeah. They see you show up. They don't care who you are. As long as you're showing up, you're loving them, you know, you're treating them right, you know, golden rule type stuff. And, and, and they love you back. And then if you don't show up, that's the problem. You know, like that kid all the way over on the right, that big kid. Yeah. Man, I've known him since he was 12 years old. I'm ready. We're, I'm taking him to his first college visit on uh, Saturday. Wow. I know that his mom right there, she's, uh, you know, she had a rough go, but she's pretty good lady doing her best. Who pays you? How do you get paid? Uh, so part of my salary, this, this is going to get a wild twist right here. So you got comes from marijuana. Comes from marijuana taxes on the legalization of marijuana. Please tell me that. That'd be fucking nuts. Well, the dude that put me in prison, the the United States attorney, yeah, called me in 2018 and said, "Hey, hey, brother, I wanna, I wanna pay you to solve gun violence." And I'm like, "Hey, brother, you put me in prison." Yeah. I mean, this is the United States attorney here. Like, he's the guy that's in the video too, the India Sage video. Yes. Yeah. That was awkward when you were sitting by him, by the way. Like I was like, really like I I was on the assault bike, like just watching you two. I'm like, holy fuck, this is intense. He's a great. So interesting fact, there's 94 U.S. attorneys. And when Trump left office, all 93 U.S. attorneys got the axe and one didn't. And it was him. Wow. Holy shit. And that was because he had, you know, he's investigating the son. Oh, shit. I was oh, nervous. Shit. I was nervous I was going to lose my paycheck. Oh, shit. <laughs> so they can't fire him because he's investigating the son? Yeah. Holy shit. Wow, this, that investigation's been going on a long fucking time. Yeah. He's this guy. So you got the United States Department of Justice has a bunch of money for what's called Project Safe Neighborhoods, and that's gets filtered to every single U.S. attorney in the country. Now, most U.S. attorneys would give that Project Safe Neighborhood money to like the Police Athletic League or some like Boys and Girls Club or something like that. So this guy was like, hey, man, I think we should contract two ex-offenders. We can't d- do direct hire, but I can contract them to go solve gun violence in our neighborhoods. And the criminal justice council, who's like a watchdog of the money said, we don't think that you should contract these ex offenders. And he said, thanks for your opinion, but I'm not asking your permission. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I love the guy because he's not uh, scared to do the right thing. Right. He's not worried about his reputation in in that world you know i mean this we're talking about a guy like he's got he's an important guy like he makes a lot of crazy decisions on a daily basis and here he's contracting two ex-offenders 
and this could blow right up in his face, right? I could do Who's something. Who's the other dude? Does he? Do you work with him? Yeah, his name's uh, Tyrone. He's uh, he's about ten years older than me. It's pretty. I mean, he's a squared away dude now. He did federal time. You know, is he so, in the CrossFit gym too? Is he or yeah. different program? Different program. He he deals more with uh, adult men coming out of prison. Okay, which is super hard for me. I, I just have no patience for it. Sure. Okay. Uh, so I'm he he's like I can't deal with kids, and I'm like I can't deal with the men. So it actually works out pretty well where I'm, you know, I'm coaching a bunch of kids trying to prevent them from going to jail. And he's coaching up a lot of guys that are getting out of jail. Okay. And, and so, so, so this, so this gym, how long is the program going to last? Your paycheck could go away at any day. Yeah. But I have one third of my salary comes from fundraising and uh, through grants. So at this point, even if that money were to go away, there's other monies that would be able to fill the gap. Fuck. It's crazy that you can't get more secure than that. Okay. So this facility right here, just I want to understand this picture. Bear with me here. This facility here is where you basically go every single day. Right. And this facility is in what city? Dover, Delaware. Dover, Delaware. And is that, is, uh, and how close, and Wilmington was the city that was called uh, Murder Town USA, right? Right. And how close is Dover to Wilmington? Uh, like an hour. Okay. And this facility, um, uh, you've transformed this into a CrossFit gym? We have uh, that big triangle roof on the right is a basketball court. Yeah. In the middle there, we're actually starting demo. We're building a kitchen. Okay. Next to that, we have like, there's, that's a basketball gym. And so we do lots of CrossFit in that basketball gym. And then we do, we have like a 200 square foot room that we have a rig. Okay. But currently there's been a lot of federal state dollars coming in and we, uh, we're building two 4,000 square foot pole barns for like around 150, 170,000. And they're they're going to be home to two different CrossFit gyms, and they're both inside the housing authority neighborhoods. Okay, so not not on this property. No, in the back of that property, right there. Yeah. There's a there's already a four thousand square foot cement pad poured, and then we just have to erect the pole barn. So we'll have another building in the back to do specifically for CrossFit, and then like down the street we have a. Uh, 2000 square foot garage where we put a lift, a carpentry shop and a landscaping company out of there. So you take it back to 2018, there was no money to pay me. I was a full-time CrossFit instructor at a gym making like 52 K a year. And, uh, I left there because Justin, the FBI guy, we bought a landscaping company. Hey, was that at the Batman CrossFit place? No, this was at a place called uh, Riverfront CrossFit. Okay, okay. It was this place was crazy. It was twelve thousand square foot CrossFit gym, and there was like I had that owner on this show. What was the owner's name? Of what Riverfront? Riverfront, yeah. I I feel like you had a guy named Steve Bart. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Is he Delaware too? Yeah, Steve coached at riverfront before he became owner of reconstructed crossfit where he there, there was not some god there was someone else who had a gym on a river too maybe that was babylon crossfit i can't fucking remember all these okay 
Okay, so sorry. So you were you were just just to help me fill in here. You were at that place with the with the um with the the Batman guy. Then you from the, that's where you trained, and then from there you actually became a coach at Riverfront CrossFit, and then yeah. you left that job to do this job. Yeah. So when when this guy this uh, Justin uh so we down we, and contacted you. Or well, you contacted we had been, him. for two years. We've been doing Green Beret Project already. Okay. But there wasn't that much money, you know. Do we, you have kids or a girlfriend or anything? I've been married for eight years. Oh shit! Do you have kids? No kids. Do you ever see your wife, or you're just too busy working? Yeah, she's she's in the other room right now. All right, because <laughs> you're a fucking workaholic. Uh, yeah, I mean, there there's a balance there. Uh, there is a balance. Definitely has to be a balance there, because I I because this seems like it's not work anymore, right? It's just like. Every day I'm pumping and, and I get reminded of that, about that a lot, that I need to have balance with, uh, home life, even just like productive fun on my end. Like I know I've been getting made fun of this. People have been making fun of me for this, but I picked up pickleball and I freaking love it. Oh, but, awesome. Good on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old man's game. Good on you. How, <laughs> how old are you? 42. Yeah, it's perfect. I whitewater raft a lot too, but you know, I take kids whitewater rafting. Right. But, uh, and you're going to end up playing pickleball with them too. Probably those new facilities yeah. will all have pickleball courts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm already, I already told them I would beat every single one of them in pickleball. So I got to be able to create that dominance over them a little bit. There's a guy, the Batman guy is, there was a guy, uh, um, uh, who, he, um, there was a gym that he walked into after getting out two months after he got out. And there was a guy there with, uh, he had the name, last name Batman. So that's why I call him the Batman guy. And he went in there and, and started training. Yeah. I trained there for like three months. And then I actually transitioned to uh, this other guy who was a bodybuilder. Um, he had a bodybuilding, like personal training gym. And then he had a CrossFit gym on the side. And I walked into his gym and I knew him from the past. And I'm like, yo, man, I got my CrossFit L1. I want a job. And he just laughed. And he was like, hey, brother, I got a lot of cops working here. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, man, I don't care about that. He said, right. dude, this guy is awesome. He's like, he said, just I'll give you a membership for free. Just show up every day and start working out with my clientele and we'll see what happens. So yeah. I'm like, bet went every you know four or five days a week worked out this clientele made a bunch of relationships he hired me and i worked there for four years hey 52k a year sounds pretty good sounds like that's i think that's based on some of the numbers i saw from chris cooper double the average salary of a crossfit coach well so not that it's great still but i mean it's it's money so the way this happened was i had i was a foreman at a manufacturing plant i was making 45 g's a year Mm -hmm. and i had Christmas bonus, uh, 75% of my uh, uh, health insurance paid and a 401k matching up to 3% and five, 50 cents on the dollar up to 5%. And I never had any of those things in my life. And I went to this CrossFit gym and I said, hey, I got some nonprofit money to bring juvenile detention kids here. Can I start bringing kids here and I'll pay you to bring the kids here during off peak hours? And the lady looked at me and said, how about you become my general manager? Wow. I was like, huh? Well, well, I thought it was a dude who owned the gym. That was his wife or something? No, at the Riverfront, a girl, a woman owned the gym at the Riverfront. Oh, okay. 
Um, I know this story takes all types of twists and turns. No, it's okay. It's good. It's so, a good story. It's worth it's worth listening so, to. So I said, uh, so just shooting from the hip, I'm like, well, I'm going to write a number on a piece of paper and I'm going to hand it to you. And if you can match that, I'll put my two-week notice in today. And I, I wrote the number 45 Gs. And I say 52K because she had to pay like seven grand for my IRA and my health insurance. And I right. put it all on paper and I slid it to her. Like I did not wake up thinking this was going to happen. And, and she shook her head. She said, I can do that. I said, done deal. I coached 20 classes a week. I put 20 hours in you know, marketing and retention. Boom. I had a job at CrossFit working full-time CrossFit job. And I, I still, to this day, I don't think I was totally qualified to do it. I mean, I had my L1. I was good with people, which is what mattered for real. And I knew I could grow on my technical side. Uh, she sent me to get my L2 for free. So now I have my L1 for free. I got my L2 for free. Got my CrossFit kids for free. And then Chuck Carswell just hooked me up with my, I had to get my L2 recertified. So he hooked us up for that for free because it's all part of the nonprofit. How do you know him? Uh, so I, so back when 18, when we went to the CrossFit headquarters, I became all involved at the CrossFit foundation, you know, oh. like, you know, Murphy. Oh Jim. yeah. Josh. So I, I talked. Oh yeah. Him. He's a fucking Delaware guy. No, he's in Maine. Same thing for me. Wow. That's like fucking awesome. I forgot about him. That's a good dude. I, I, so, I, I, I yeah. fuck. Is that, that that does that dude still does that guy work for CrossFit? So I don't think he ever really worked for them. He's just, I mean, the guy's uh he does like cancer research stuff, right? So he's I, just, I really liked him. I loved interacting with him. Yeah, he's, he's a, a great good guy. guy. Yeah, he takes care of all the uh, nonprofits. You know, he's cut us a couple checks, right? Um, I mean, listen, when I, why does that guy do that? I never understood that dude's trip. I never, that guy's, it was just always such a good dude. I did. I tripped on him though. I was like, what the fuck is he doing? I think he started out back in like Oh six helping some veterans and Uh I might be getting some chopped up, but I, it's Josh Murphy, right? Big dude. He's a big dude. Yeah. 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 Big Josh Murphy does a hundred burpees in his hotel room every night. He, and he does those crazy, like all night ruck things and shit. Yeah. 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 So he, uh, he, I guess he contacted someone at CrossFit and asked for some gear and helped some veterans and Glassman got involved. And then somehow the CrossFit foundation was birthed. And then Steve Liberati was like Mm -hmm. the first guy in there. And then you had people like Aaron Hoff from Keala foundation. Right. Wow. You're dropping some names. Um, you know, like I, so I used to talk to Steve Liberati. He's not part of it anymore, of course. And then I that's still, a shame what happened to Steve's club. That fucking yeah. that beef jerky was the shit. Yeah. And he's like, Steve lives like a half hour from me. Um, I talked to Halfy like probably once every couple of months. Uh, I really like what he's doing. He's probably the closest thing in the country that I know of of that's like kind of what we do. How about um, Matt Schindeldecker? He's kind of doing oh, it, isn't he? So that guy. I know that guy too. He, dude, that guy is freaking awesome. So we just threw this. Kind of the same thing as you, right? Different, different, but same meaning he has a fucked up past that he's now putting to work for him. Yeah. And you had a fucked up past that you're now putting to work for you. He's a dude. He just gave us 24 sandbags for free. Schindeldecker. 
Yeah, I was like, I called him up and I'm like, yo, man, I'm in a pinch. We're throwing this CrossFit fundraiser. It's a two-day fundraiser and we don't have any sandbags. And he's like, oh, I'll send them to you. So he sends them to us, overnights them. The competition went off well. And then I call him. I'm like, hey, man, are you going to invoice me or what? I'm like, what do I owe you? And he was like, are you going to use those sandbags for the kids? And I'm like, yeah, they're at the kids' CrossFit gym. He was like, just keep them. I'm like, huh, wonderful. Wow. Well, and it's not like he couldn't use them. Right. I mean, that's no, fucking he, cool as shit. This is great. So all brand new. I mean, it was awesome. But uh, where were we at? So Murphy. So I, I asked, I kept asking Murphy for money. And uh, he would just laugh. So actually, I should probably take it back. And before that, there was this guy named, I should have looked his name up. His name was Ben. He was a Green Beret. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, is he a Delta Force guy? Maybe. He kind of looks like me a little bit. White guy, bald head, worked at CrossFit. Yeah, um, I, Ben Allen. Ben Allen. So our Big guy, dude. Yeah, I, he's, he was a Delta Force guy. Yep. Our guy, Justin, knew a guy that was close to him through the SO, for, from the SF community. And, and that guy, Ben, was like, hey, I got you a meeting with this guy, Josh, but you have to come to the games. So me and, and our president of our board, who is a Delta guy, we fly out to the games. They get us in for free. And they put us up in the, you know, that VIP booth that's up above the field. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I mean, year was this? <laughs> oh, man, maybe 2018. Yeah, I'm sure I saw you there. And we were up in VIP, met Murphy. Next thing I know, they're flying us out to headquarters. And uh, maybe headquarters was in 2019. Then did you meet Greg there at the games? Yes. Well, no. I so I didn't meet him at the games. When I went to headquarters, I walked out into the back and I spotted Jim and Jeff. And in my head, I'm like, I want to meet those guys. And then I hear, "Hey, Adam! Hey, Adam!" And I'm like, "Who the? That can't be yelling for me." And I'm looking the other way, seeing if there was another guy named Adam. And Greg was yelling my name, and yeah. he was standing there by the fire pit. And so I walked over there. I'm like, you know my name? He was like, yeah, man, I studied. I looked and see who you were and, you know, love what you're doing. So, you know, they flew us out there on their dime, gave us hotel, food, and gave us a check for 20K. Dude, that, by the way, for anyone, like, that's the, those are the stories that should be told about Greg. That's the kind of fucking guy he is. A guy who would just yell at someone who he doesn't know, call him over, shoot the shit with them, make eye contact, shake their hand. He probably gave you a hug, too. Yep. I mean, it, I didn't know. I mean, of course, I knew who he was, but right. why would I suspect that that guy knows who I am? Yeah, right? because he yep. looked me up. That's why, you know, and he he got to know who I was. And, uh, you know, we had a great conversation. And then I met him again at a CrossFit health thing in 2019 um, in Madison. Yeah. And, you know, I've been going to the games every year just, you know, just because I met so many people at the companies. So I don't, you know, I, I mean, I don't really care to watch all these athletes compete, but I just go to mingle with the vendors. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's smart. I think it's smart. It's a great scene there. And I bring kids. Yeah. Right? And they and probably they, love that shit. Well, then the people, they're tired of talking about, they're tired of talking to me. So I'm like, yeah. talk to the kids. The yeah. kids are like, dude, the kids are like, these people are crazy. Where did you bring us? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh yeah so so this going back to this place so this place here 
110 kids, you're building two more places, and uh, it is um, as successful as, is, as it is, it is kind of, I don't want to say month to month, but it's a year to year thing. It's a thing that it's, it's sure. a thing you have to hold this thing together, right? Well, hey, we built a nonprofit in the beginning. It was like building business, you know, five year mark, right? So we built it, built it. Me, Justin, the Delta dude, we're doing the grants, we're doing the accounting, you know, we're doing the coaching. Eventually, we make enough money. It's like, hey, let's contract this grant writer. So we get this ninja grant writer for a thousand bucks a month, and she's writing hundred thousand dollar grants. And then we get an accountant right now. I'm just some meathead sitting in the room with these two ninjas. One of them's an accountant. One of them's a grant writer. And they love this stuff. And I hate it. And I'm like, well, now we're cooking. Right. Because now we got a half a million dollars in the bank and we're projected to have over a million next year. And that's because, you know, the our grant writer, she's like, hey, you need to go sit outside the legislative hall outside the senator's office and tell them who, what you are, what you do at exactly 1230 on this day. And I'll put on my little Lululemon college shirt yeah. and I'll walk down there and I'll hustle the Senator and they love it. Right. Did you bring any of the kids with you? Uh, I have, you know, we yeah. rolled up there with five kids. I put them all in nice little college shirts with the, uh, with the label on it. And we rolled up right in the governor's office. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's smart, right? Because then they can see, hey, this is the fucking product. Yeah. This is what you're spending money on right here. These are these are the cats that are going to benefit from it. No doubt. I um, mean, go ahead. It's just better coming from their mouth than mine. Right. You know, kids don't lie. You think you save lives, Adam? Absolutely. There's yeah. no doubt. There's I've definitely disrupted multiple shootings in that neighborhood. God, that must feel fucking good. I fucking love that. I mean, there's like, I can just see it unfolding, right? And it's like, all right, well, I know so-and-so's mom. We had this one situation, this kid, he stole a car. So the mom calls me and she's like, Adam, uh, you know, my son stole a car and this gangbanger just called me and said he's going to come by and shoot the house up. And I'm like, her name's India too. And I'm like, India, you did nine years in jail. I did seven. I said, you got the dude's number. Let's three-way him. Yeah, we three weighed the gangbanger. We were like, hey, man, we know you used to steal cars when you're a little kid, too. I said, have a little sympathy. He's freaking 16. He stole your car. Relax. And he was like, you know what? You're right. I just need my cell phone back. I don't even care about the car. And the cell phone was in the car. Yeah. So we got the cell phone out and we gave it back to the gangbanger. And that's did you drive it to him or did she? He came over to the to the neighborhood. And we that boom, problem solved. Right. And the United States attorney loves hearing stories like that, because what could have happened from that is that gangbanger comes out. You know, the story comes over, shoot. Maybe he misses everybody. Now there's retaliation. And then you got this war and, and a baby gets killed in the mother's arms. Yeah. And it, yeah I, mean, it, I know the story. And it has happened. Right. Yeah, I, on yeah. the other end, I got kids doing life. It's not all pretty either. Right. We got eight kids in the National Guard, some kids in college, some kids in trade school. I got kids doing life in prison for murder. Right. I got yeah. kids in jail that I'm like, I, I was at the jail last night dropping off 25 bucks to this kid to get some shower shoes, you know, because I still want that. I'm like, listen, man, yeah, you're in prison. I'm disappointed, but I still love you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to send you a CD. I sent the kid a CDL book, dropped off 25 bucks. What's I'm, a CDL I'm, book? Like a book on to get his uh commercial driver's license to drive a uh, big rig. 
Oh, oh, oh. To, 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 while he's in jail to earn that. Yeah. Study the book while you're in jail. And when you get out, we'll take you to the DMV. And you could be, you know, driving a dump truck or something. Do you spend a lot of time in your car, Adam? Uh, Driving? I would, yeah, I would say, yeah. yeah Probably just, like eight to ten hours a week. Yeah. Which I I kind of like because on my way down there, I'm like planning the day on how to finagle all these personalities and relationships. And then on the way home, I can kind of decompress so I don't bring all that junk back home to my wife. Yeah. I still do sometimes, but most of the time I can release it on the, on the ride home. How did you meet her? Uh, wild story. So I met the girl in high school. Um, she's the only girlfriend I ever had, meaning like, I had a girlfriend for three years and it was her three or four years. And it was her and there was girls before her, whatever. But, and then she, when I graduated college, she, uh, she had enough. Right. And she was like, I, I love you, but I cannot deal with what you do. Like too scary for her. Yeah. And, you know, just staying out for days on end, drinking, drugging, um, you know, never knowing if I was going to wake up in a jail cell or in a ditch. So, she left and then so I'm 22, she's gone. I get locked up and I'm 27 for those five years. We, we stayed in contact, but very, very loose. When I go in jail, I call her sister and uh, her sister was like, you know, she's going through a rough time. She's kind of confused. Like you're going to get a lot of time. She seems like she's not doing that good. And, you know, me being arrogant, I was like, well, that's because the girl's still in love with me. And her sister was like, you are a real piece of work. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's, it's true. It's true. And, you know, so I would write these letters to her sister that she would give to her, but she wouldn't, I didn't know her address. And, uh, and then fortunately she came to visit me. I said, I'm reading the Bible. She said, don't you dare use Jesus to get back with me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So you say, too kept, late, I already did. Right. And she kept coming to visit me. And uh, eventually the dude she was dating was no more. And she was living with a roommate. And then she ended up moving in with her mom. And over the course of six or seven years, so she had started going to church too. And uh, so she was going to church. She had a little women's group. And then we were slowly didn't label our relationship, but we just kind of just kept talking. And, and, you know, we, I think we both kind of knew. And then when I got out of prison, she picked me up and uh, we got married six months later. No shit. You got out of prison, like in the movies, like you walk out, they open the door and you walk out and she's there. Yeah. Like in a car. Yeah. Is it winter? Yep, it was January nineteenth, two thousand fourteen. Did you cry? No, no. I was. I mean, it was. It was. It was a great moment, you know. I mean, I. I just was like emotionalist, you know. There was like, I think from doing lots of drugs and alcohol, I've become, you know, and seeing so much and dealing with so much. I, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to, you know, show my emotion. So I try to, you know, put that tough exterior up, even though I'm a little baby on the inside. And, and that was it. You, you, you hung out with her, and then you've been hanging out with her ever since. Yep, eight, 
Yeah, we got married June 20. I got out January 19, 2014. We got married June 24th, 2014, and we're still thugging out. Married. That, it's crazy um, how much you guys have seen each other evolve as humans, creatures. Yeah. The the journey, like, wow. You're, you're really lucky. Um, yeah. That's going to, as you get older and older, it's going to, it, it pays dividends. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm nine years older than you, but I, my girlfriend's from when I was 20, not as far back as you, but it's just crazy. It's so good having a historical record. I mean, it's, we're not even the same people. It's like, we're, in, it's like, it's fucking just completely, oh, we are, but we're not. It's weird. So if you can see this, so this is pretty crazy. This, can you, where can you see this? Yeah. Yeah. So see me, that was me. Wow. Holy shit. That's some Tiger King shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and this is her. Wow. Holy shit, dude. I had like hair down here and she's uh I mean she's a dime. And uh that's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. What what are are her or was her dad in jail or something? Why is she attracted to you? What so her parents were divorced. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that's easy, right? <laughs> her, she her parents were divorced, mine were divorced, so we had that in common. Her yeah. mom, you know, kind of you know, she didn't have too much discipline. I mean, she had a little sister, a little brother. Uh, so we had that in common and that was easy, you know, both from broken families. Uh, her dad's a good guy, man. He's he's a pretty stand-up guy. I mean, you know, they had their marital issues. They got divorced and that left her, you know, you don't, and same thing with the girls, right? Now you don't have a man telling you you're beautiful. This is how another man should treat you. Yeah. And then you meet a guy like me. Yeah. <laughs> man, uh, I, I, divorce just sounds so fucking horrible. Uh, uh, congratulations for just working so long. And it, it seems like you understand the, the value of, uh, relationships i i just can't i i just thank my fucking I, every day i'm so thankful that i'm still with my wife every fucking day it's crazy it's wow. work it's work it is work it is work but the the other option is just um loneliness or just horrible like i don't know i don't really know too many happy people who it seems like when people get divorced they kind of just get lost yeah to me they, it's like they try to fill the vacuum with all kinds of other stuff. I mean, with, you know, with my wife, it's like, uh, so her personality is much different to mine. And in the beginning, it's like, you know, we had the premarital counseling and all that good stuff. And, but it was like, I had to you learn. You mean when you got out of jail? Yeah. I had to uh, learn how to feed her emotions. Like I couldn't, like when I'm, for instance, when I'm sick, I want her to just be like, toughen up, and this is how we're going to fix it. Yeah. Versus, and then I I will portray that onto her. Like, yeah. you just need to get better. And she's like, that's not how I operate. Don't be a so, pussy. Go for, put on a jacket and go for a walk. Right. <laughs> she, she doesn't want that, right? She yeah. wants, and not because she's a woman. I mean, I know some guys like this too. For sure. It's just different. Yeah, it's just different. You people. know, they just got a different type of personality. It's like, oh man, you're sick. I'm so sorry. Poor baby, you know? And she's like, I know you're being 
a joker right now, but it feels really good. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best making your mate happy, isn't it? And then like, we're both have a little bit of controlling in us. So the counselor is like, this is easy. You're going to control something and she's going to control something. And you need to come up with that. So boom, it's like, in the beginning it was like, well, you're in control of, of decorating the house and the temperature of the house. And, and now, I mean, I had to kind of regain control of the temperature because it's yeah. got to be cold at night, but I control the temperature for sure. <laughs> but yeah, these little things, be you turn the heat off at night or you lower it to like 60. 60. Oh, yeah, that's what I do too. I just lower it to 60. The, the only reason why I don't turn it off is because I'm always curious I, if it does get, it's not because I care if it gets 59. I just want to know, like out of my own just interest of metrics. Holy shit, did it really get down to 59 in here? Yeah. So I like to, I like to hear it go on. Um, you, how, what's the plan, Adam, for, um, the future of the Green Beret project? Where, where does it go? Um, so we're getting stronger every day, meaning our budget's getting bigger. Uh, we're we're getting more recognized by different uh, foundations, and uh, you know it's like, hey, we had a kid when he was twelve, and now he's nineteen. I'm at a kid when he was fifteen, now he's twenty three. So we actually have four kids on our payroll right now. Crazy. So like train the trainer model. I tell these, I identify them. I'm like, you are going to run the Green Beret project in 10 years because I'm not going to be able to do it anymore, right? We're going to train you up to do this. And we've been training kids up to do that. Long process. So we we have our, we have another location. It's got 13 acre farm uh, with a CrossFit gym on it and an acre of crops. And I don't know. Where's that? That's in the Southern part of Delaware. And you guys bought that already. So actually it's a woman that we met. We helped her rent a garage space to coach kids. And then we helped her finish buying the farm. So it's her property, but we coach 60 kids on that property and she leads that. And I just deal with her resources. I'm like, I can't, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with another 60 kids. So you're going to do all that. And I'm, I, I want you to not worry about, you know, paying the, the bill, uh, getting the CrossFit equipment, getting grants. I will do all that work for you. So I'll just be this guy, this fun uncle dude. I'll come in once a month, chat with the kids, but I don't, I can't deal with their, the daily minutia with the kids. Um, and then we got a, are working on a third site in Wilmington. Um, we have like 20 kids and it's a jujitsu program. Wow. Holy crap. We got three locations and I kind of could see us having a fourth location in Fayetteville by Fort Bragg because one of our board members is like transitioning out of the army. He's like 50 and, uh, and he, he just has this heart for, for kids. He grew up in a rough situation. He had an awesome military career. And like, he's the type of guy that we could, you mean, he just trust him from the rep, right? Like, it's not interesting thing. During the Floyd thing, I had like 20 different gyms call me from all over the country. And they're like, we want to start a Greenberry project at our gym. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You, you're watching the news and you're feeling guilty 
And now you want to coach a bunch of young black kids. I said, we're not out. Our mission wasn't to coach young black kids. We just happened to be in a neighborhood with a bunch of young black kids. Like we, at our most Southern location, it's like 90% Hispanic. And we have like two black kids there. It's not about that. It's about coaching kids growing up in poverty without dads. And and you want to start a Green Beret project. I don't know you. Right? And, and, and just and to, and from, from the other hand, also to, to, to reduce the murder fucking rate. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry. I just want to say, cause I thought that was profound. Like hey, we're here, we're here to fucking reduce the murder rate. Yeah. I mean, it, cause I said, call me back in a month. Not one of those people called me back. No shit. Not one. It wasn't trendy. It wasn't trendy to adopt a kid from Africa anymore. It was just sexy during that time. Right. To, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, to the murder rate thing, it's like, you know, I had a bunch of people tell me, oh, you're making a bigger, stronger, faster criminal. And I'm like, you are out of your Wow, that's fucking mind. retarded. That's like, stupid. I had a lady from the correctional facility tell me, she was like, I took away all the boys' exercise equipment. And I said, with all due respect, that's the dumbest thing you could have did. I said, those boys are 14 to 18 years old, and their testosterone is through the roof. And the other counselors were like, when Adam comes here every Monday, we have zero fights. And I said, that's because we're working out and we're having fun. And it's like their little piece of moment out of jail. I said, if we work these boys out every day and we train them at some sport, maybe we do some chess, you know, whatever. Right. Man, these boys love it. They're just boys at the end of the day. Dude, confident people don't do that. It's so crazy. I've had I I had friends years ago who didn't. I'm like, hey, you got to sign your kids up for martial arts. You got to get them into jujitsu. And they're like, no, it's 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 violent. I'm like, dude, there's not even there's no fucking striking in it at all. It's just fucking complete fucking discipline. Flash forward four or five years, my kids have been in. The kids that train in my kids' jujitsu class are the most disciplined, patient, confident, calm, loving, affectionate, intimate kids ever. The kids who aren't in the martial arts. They they look like jackasses compared to my kids. What's like and all those kids in the academy? What? It's like they're they're out proving themselves. Yeah, these other kids are proving themselves on it's, the. Uh, it's so they're so different. Kids with confidence versus kids that's not who are not. Are you well, in trouble? No, my wife's asking for the Honda thing. Now you have to say. Hi. I knew you drove a Honda. Dang. Hey. Well, that's our. I drive a suburban. Oh, I thought for sure. You, I just pictured you in a Civic putting in like uh, 20 hours a week behind the wheel. So we we do have a Civic, but I yeah, bought- she's hot, by the way. What a looker. Congratulations. She's like a, she looks like a Charlie's Angel, like she fell out of the 70s. She's a she's a good looking girl. She's from uh, Oklahoma. Oh, they, and they make beautiful women there. Um, good state. I drive a 2003 Suburban with 270,000 miles on it. Gas or diesel? Gas. Holy shit. I need I need something I can tow the gas cutting trailer with eight seatbelts in it all at once. You, you think her friends, you walk in the room and her friends are like, damn, you got to look her. Adam's hot. <laughs> I don't know. I got a butt chin, you know, awkward sometimes. <laughs> No. I know something about Oklahoma. I've been to Oklahoma. I've been to Oklahoma. I've been there. Hey, ironically, that's where Waddell lives too, right? Yep. Yeah. I haven't been out to see him. I want to get out there. He's like, oh, I'm in the garage with the cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Man, I love that guy. I'm going to be with him in person next week. I can't wait. It's just fun being around that guy because we're even talking. I agree. Because you're I always, agree. you know, you're always picking up little leadership tips or even other relationship tips. And he always knows a guy somewhere. Yeah. I really enjoy him and Martone. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time with him and we've, it, it's, there, and there's a lot of comedy too. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty funny guys. Oh man. When Jim found out on Saturday night, Jim found out I played pickleball. Uh-huh. Oh man. He just couldn't stop laughing at me. I'm like, I don't care, man. I'm it's fun. I'm like, you know, I don't have cows in my backyard. I live in the city, man. Uh, so, so this thing will just keep growing. You'll just keep growing this thing. That's the, that's the intention. I mean, the intention is eventually it's going to be self-run through the, through some of the boys that, or the girls that went through the program. You know? Yeah. I got kids on payroll. They're already coaching up little kids. I got 15 year olds coaching 12 year olds and I got 12 year olds coaching up six year olds. Right. We're all just kind of growing as a family together. What do you think about this model that um, uh, uh, Dale King has where the actual the, – the, the people who are rehabilitating themselves actually run a business also that makes money? What ends up becoming the model so this thing's self-sustaining, that these people actually open a gym that becomes open to the public where people actually like pay some money or – What, with Dale's operation? With your op- with Dale's operation, they're selling soaps and, 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 and hygiene products, right? But with your operation, at some point, like in the future, does it? Um, do you guys like, like the like you, you'll have, like these four kids eventually? Will they be trainers that are that are charging people to, well, to train also, and that will subsidize, like you know, like something like Tom's or something? For every pair of shoes yeah. you buy, we give away one free gym membership. For every well, gym membership you buy, we give away one free one or some shit like that. I mean, I want those kids to go off and live life first, right? Right. Okay. Like, right. Right. One of the kids is a senior in high school. He gets out of school every day at 1030. I'm like, hey, man, you're not going to go home and sit on your butt. You're going to report to the to the building. You're going to clean the toilets, cut the grass, do the mopping, listen to me yell and get used to it. Yeah. And then and then we'll take you back to lacrosse practice. That kid just got accepted to Williamson College of the Trades where they they pay one hundred nine thousand dollars for him to learn carpentry for three years. Oh, that's awesome. Go go get out of here and live life a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and love then, that. Fuck, that's brilliant, dude. That's yeah. fuck being stuck in a gym your whole life. Get out and do yeah. some shit. Like, Maybe not go to prison yeah. and get your experience there, but something. And like the other kid, he worked for us and then we put him in the National Guard. Yeah. And he's like, he was like, you didn't tell me I was going to get deployed. And boom, that kid's in Qatar right now. I'm like, wow. dude, you're living a sweet life. Wow. You're not paying for nothing. You're 19 and you're living in Qatar. We got another kid. He's 20. He's actually 26. He uh so he was working for us, graduated college, went to National Guard, went became a correction officer. He's in Kuwait and he's he just got accepted to be a surveillance guy at the FBI. Boom. Wow. Like we don't want you to work at this gym. I don't want you to work with me forever. Right. Right. Maybe at some point you will come back. Right. When you go live your life, maybe you come back when you're 35, 40. I mean, half these dudes, they're going to be retiring at 38, 40 years old because they're in the military and the corrections field. I'm like, go, go do that for 20 years. So when you come back, when you're 40, we don't have to pay you a full, a full salary. Yeah. So, you know, we don't know exactly how we're going to get there. We're building a camp in, West Virginia right now. And I have this crazy idea that I want to build a ropes course. 
There's a guy I know in North Carolina that's running a boys academy and he has, he makes a hundred grand a year on his ropes course and he makes 25,000 a year on his cabins, Airbnb. And I'm like, I can do that. We got somebody in West Virginia willing to run a camp. We take the kids down there, do free whitewater rafting. And then we make, you know, we make all our money off the ropes course. I love that. You know, I yeah, throw that's a, awesome. I throw a rock, you know, I threw a rock two years in a row, 50 miles for a fundraiser. First year was 18 people. We got 18 G's. Second year, we had 160. We raised around 57 G's. So I called Go Rock. Fortunately, you know, Jimmy Letchford's over there now. Yeah. Jimmy Waddell knows Jimmy Letchford. I'm like, call. I've met Letchford a couple of times. I'm like, call him up, man. Another great guy. Great guy. He's like, hey, man, how about we just help you throw this. I'm like, yeah, you guys are pros. I'm an amateur. Why don't you help me throw this rock in order for us to raise more money? So now we got all this money coming in. We got a golf event. We got a car show. uh, We got the rock and we got a CrossFit event. So that's through that. We've raised over 200 K in one year. Plus our grants, right? Grants will come and go. It's, it's about the people like, you know, raising your own money and, and finding out how to be self-sufficient, like through the soap. You just, you got to be creative with it. Dude, you're killing it, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, what about people reaching out to you? I, I, I know, I know Schindel Decker's taken a lot of, uh, Matt Schindel Decker's taken a lot of requests. He's doing something pretty cool over there. Yeah. What about people reaching out to you and, and wanting to be involved? Are you open to that? Totally open to it. Cause you never know who it is like we're, we search for people all the time, but you know, it just became a point where if it happens, it happens. If we stay in Delaware for the rest of the great life of the Greenberry project, then that's just what it's meant to be. If we've, I think I have a feeling our first branch out are going to be the new river gorge in West Virginia and Fayetteville because we already have strong ties to both. But you know, someone's like, Hey man, I was in SF and, and not that SF is a requirement, but you know, I mean, the, the a goal would be, hey, there's a veteran, right? And there's a juvenile delinquent, and they both kind of need help, right? This guy, you know, he just lived this exciting life. He needs a sense of purpose because the Army provided that for him. He was mission-oriented, and we need to keep him mission-oriented. And maybe it's saving 10 kids' lives, right? right? So that would be, I mean, that would be an awesome situation. Or maybe we meet another ex-offender. Or maybe we meet neither, but they just have a heart for this uh, type of mission, you know? Yeah. Because it's hard. It, I mean, you dealing with personalities, moms cussing me out all the time. All the time. I had a mom call me and say, if you don't pay my electric bill, the kids aren't coming over anymore. No shit. I was hot. I was, I was ready to freak out. So I called Justin. I'm like, listen, man, you need to talk me off a ledge right now because I really love those kids. But the mom is driving me crazy. So it's like the easy thing to do is to say, hey, imagine that mentality. And so at the end of the day, she's just being a mama bear. She's trying to protect her 10 kids with seven different baby dads. Right. Wow. And uh, it's July. I love her kids. I love her at the end of the day. And Justin said, listen to here. He said, when I was in Iraq, we built a 300 man Iraqi cadre with 12 soldiers and those people did not like us. They had different skin tone, different religion, different language, and they did not like us, but we went over there and we loved them. We built relationships with them 
but we had to pay the warlords to save the townspeople. He was like, you're going to pay that electric bill to save those kids. <laughs> the mom's the warlord and the kids are the townspeople. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I have a great relationship with her now, but sometimes we're still like, I mean, like this, you know, she, she grounded her kid from the football season for not washing the dishes. And I'm like, this is not smart. Yeah. But Hey man, you got to just play the relationship every day. And it's a, it's a balance. Fuck. I, I appreciate you coming on. You, yeah. You're you're uh, as marvelous as Jimmy Waddell told me uh, you would be. It's, it's it's really cool meeting you, and I have, I suspect our paths are going to cross. It sounds like we have a lot of the same friends, and I still do see Jimmy once in a while, periodically, at least a couple times a year. Yeah, that'd be cool if we could. Uh, if I can come out one day, and uh, or so on your one last thing on your uh, on your on your website, it says you you film movies in forty nine states. Is that one state, Delaware? No, you know, I've been to, I've been to every single, I, I filmed, I don't know if I filmed uh, movies and I've filmed movies in a hundred countries and I've visited all 49 states. I wonder if I've filmed in all 49 states. That's a really interesting distinction, but the only state I haven't been to is Alaska. Uh, so where yeah. were you at in Delaware? I don't even remember. Right. I don't I mean, even remember. I, 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 I spent, uh, um, um, uh, like four months in India once. I couldn't tell you where I was. I just know I was everywhere. I was on 27 plane flights. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not too, uh, good with that. Yeah. I, um, what's the, what's the capital of Delaware? Dover. Dover. I think I was probably in Dover. I, uh, for some, I've been up there a couple times for CrossFit. It was, it was something to do with CrossFit. And then one time my dad and I drove there. I bet you, you were at Dover CrossFit. At Dover CrossFit, it's very, it's very possible. That's that kid's. That's that guy's gym that's been around. He's had a gym, CrossFit gym, since two thousand six. Uh, to text Sevy anytime. <laughs> he's he's predicting what I say to people at the end of the show. Nice. That's what I say to people at the end of the show. Go ahead, text me anytime. I do that one guy that was on last week, uh, Brett Pike. Brett Pike. Yeah. I bought one of the nutrition books. I'm still reading through some of his other stuff to make sure I can uh, bring that, bring some of that stuff into uh, our youth center. But uh, yeah, to tell me how, stay in touch with me and tell me if you end up working with him and what that's like. I really like him. He's fucking high energy. He yeah. is passionate. He's got. I mean, there were some things he was saying that that like I teach a lot of critical thinking, and I uh -huh. would teach the coaches. You know, because these kids are facing situations we can't be there all the time. It's like the new FDA thing. They're like, take that as Bible. And it's like, that's just not smart, though. Right. Let's think through it, you know. Um, so I'm hoping. What do, you, what do you mean? Like like that um, Fruit Loops are better than a, a yeah. hamburger? Like, hey, we'll hold up here a minute. I mean, I've gotten <laughs> fights with the local university. And I said, you're doing a health survey. I said, and you're handing out chips and candy and soda. I said, don't you dare give that to any of my kids. And they were like, what do you mean? And I said, I said, look, man, that kid eats sugar for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and he acts like a maniac. And then he wonders why the, the mom and dad wonder why they can't sleep. They're depressed, anxious, all this yeah. crazy stuff. Yep. Well, because I said, what if you ate sugar and processed food for three days? And she just looked at me. And I'm like, well, don't give my any of my kids any of that stuff. They know damn well in seven years, all the times we've ate, I've never given them uh soda i mean yeah we'll eat a pizza every once in a while birthday cake i mean come on sure but, sure sure but on the on the regular they're like look look kramer is that fake food and they all make fun of me for it but i'm like well 
you know? Hey, as long that's good. As long I mean, education is like education's fucking gets you to the 51 yard line. Yep. There's all sorts of stuff my mom taught me that I laughed at as a kid, but now I'm so glad she taught me because I just implement it in my life. Yep. Train a kid up in the right way and it's like a seed planted. Right. Right. I, I would have yeah. Well, good on you. Um, great interacting with you. Um, as as uh, as Tug Speedman said, uh, text me anytime. Text Sevy anytime. All right, we'll do. Yeah, it's it, it's good to know you, and I hope our paths uh, run again uh, cross soon. And if there's any, ever anything you want to come on and talk about or share, just hit me up. I'd love to have you on again. All right, we'll do that. All right, brother. Have a good day. Appreciate it. Yep. Bingo. Yeah, that's a cool dude. I mean, hey, Tug, I haven't used this one in a while. I, I'd take that dude as a neighbor. How's that? I haven't used that one in a while. A couple hundred shows at least, I'd say. Yeah, I'd take that dude as a neighbor for sure. That dude would be a cool-ass neighbor to have. I'd even play some pickleball with him. I bet you I'm pretty good at that. Oh, my God, I'm kind of tripping right now. <sighs> Because I'm doing this show tonight with um with Brian Friend on on Frisbee Golf. And uh he gave me six shows I have to watch by ten by tonight, and they're each 35 minutes each. And uh I'll watch them like on one half one one point five speed, but I mean that's gonna be a lot. All right. His his uh, Adam's wife kind of looks like the um just from that quick look at her it looks like the governor of South Dakota, you know that lady? What's her name? It's the South Dakota governor. Ah, uh, yeah, the problem is with 2.0 speed is I have to take notes and if you play too fast it ends up like um backfiring on me cuz then I got to rewind it and it, yeah, there's, there's a happy medium. I sold out of the first run of CEO mugs. That's awesome. Where is my, Oh, this is best coffee ever. My God, this coffee's good. Oh, no, I'm not ready. I'm not even ready at all. What happened was is the shows happened this weekend. And then so then they do synopsises of the show. Of um, the, I have to watch like two and a half hours of, of Frisbee golf. It's, it's like it's probably like 72 hours of Frisbee golf that will be like condensed into uh, two and a half hours. And I have to go watch that now while playing with my kids while riding the assault bike. Anyway, I'm up for it. I'm excited. I'm always excited to do stuff with Brian. It'll be fun. It'll be funny, if he, especially if he's in a good mood. When he's in a good mood, those shows are f hanging out with him is awesome. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Gabe, are you going to have some bigger cups? Like, will there be any ones like this? Oh, shit. Uh, ones like this. This size. That's a good question. 
That is, I mean, these, this logo is dope. I can't believe I'm not like a millionaire off of these shirts already. I just think this, this I just love it. Especially the black ones with the gold writing. My kids fucking love them. Uh, Glad you had Adam on. He's doing great things. Great show. Thanks. Okay. My, for some of my, my internet friends texting me already. Oh. Man, the, the, you know what's crazy? I want to hear something really crazy. That show that I did with – so when I used to do shows with Chris Cooper at CrossFit, they didn't do really well in terms of numbers. Chris Cooper is the guy who owns Two Brain Business. That's the largest uh, gym consulting company in the world. And uh, – oh, Paper Street Coffee. Devesh, yes, we will, we will have larger cups uh, during semifinals. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Um. And uh, the logo is dope. Thanks. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Audrey. Um, so, so when we had Chris Cooper on, but we would get shitloads of engagement at CrossFit, meaning there would be shit tons of comments and shit tons of DMs and people have questions for Chris Cooper. Like more than any other show, it would have the most engagement, but the fewest number of viewers. And it was because what he was saying didn't probably interest a lot of people unless they owned a CrossFit gym. But the people who did own CrossFit gyms obviously were really passionate, had a lot of questions and wanted to engage on the topic, right? Because it's their livelihood. So you see that, that what's going on there. Well, we had him on. I don't know if you guys remember this. A couple of weeks ago, we had Chris Cooper on and we pulled up those spreadsheets and we like made hypothetical gyms. Just I wanted to show people how expensive it is to run a gym so that you would realize that, hey, these gym memberships – these gym owners aren't gouging you when they're charging you a hundred, 200, $300, $400 for a membership. They're trying to fucking keep pay the bills anyway. So he was on that show. Now that we did with him is I think the most popular show we've done in 90 days. I think maybe the show we did one of the, one of the shows we did with rich Froning, I think was more popular than the one we did with Chris Cooper, but only one of them. And we've done two with rich, which is pretty fucking crazy. That means that, that that's a subject that people uh, give a shit about. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's healthy um, for, well, I don't know if healthy is the right word. I don't think CrossFit Inc. You've already given, you've already given up the space of uh, the games narrative that that's just owned by, not by CrossFit Inc. And um, you don't want to give up the narrative around the affiliates, man. If those shows start becoming, and, and I've done one a week and in, in, uh, for quite a bit now, and uh, you guys better figure out what you're doing over there. I know I'm just quietly over here chipping away. Actually, maybe not even quietly. Did Theo Vaughn call? Looking at a YouTube comment. No, Theo Vaughn didn't call. That was a joke. Okay, uh, I'll see you guys tonight, um, Bruce Wayne. Uh, I don't own a gym, and I found uh, and found out it was fascinating. And, and what I found out was fascinating. Okay, um, I don't know what time the show is tonight. I want to say it's scheduled for six, but I'm going to suspect that I'm going to push it back to six fifteen. There's a good chance. Because 
I'll have my kids at jujitsu till 5.30. I need at least 30 minutes to get home and then 15 minutes to kind of unfuck myself. Oh, what sounds awful? Oh, talking about Frisbee golf? Yeah, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm learning to like it. The thing is, uh, Scott, I'll watch two and a half hours, and so I'll be invested. And I'll have all sorts of questions for him. Oh, it's scheduled for 6.30? Oh, even better. You guys are great. Perfect. Okay. Tug Speedman, enjoy your assault bike, Sevy, and bye-bye.